turn. Yeah. Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Director's Club Podcast for a spooky edition. <laughs> I feel like like one of those morning zoo radio hosts all of a sudden. But uh, this is a tradition. We cover a horror director for the month of October. Hmm, wonder why. But uh, I am honored and thrilled to have a first-time guest here in the studio, <laughs> a.k.a. my apartment. And it certainly won't be the last time she appears on here, but I have a new librarian friend. And I have the pleasure of getting to know Chloe over time within the past year or so. Like, we met at C2E2, and I just went, oh, man, I think I've met somebody that I can talk to about horror movies like the nerds that we are. Please welcome to the show, Chloe Warian. Yes, Warian. Yes. Warian. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so excited to be here. AKA, Chloe's not scared. Yes. Does that this is mean my you're handle. Not, does this mean you're not scared at, at, with horror movies at all? Um. Uh, so technically, yes, but it's kind of a misnomer because I do get scared a lot. Like, oh, okay. I do have anxiety over basically everything. Sure. Uh, but there are a few things in horror movies that genuinely scare me nowadays. Mm. Yeah, and I've noticed that a lot of people who ha- have you know issues with anxiety or depression gravitate towards the horror genre, and I think for a very valid reason. Definitely, <laughs> yes, yes. I think I read somewhere that during the pandemic, people mm-hmm. with anxiety <laughs> and who worked out their anxiety via horror movies was were like having a better time, yeah, grappling with it all. I I think I did. Yeah, <laughs> I think honest. I did too. <laughs> and I, you know, is that whole. Even my therapist told me, like, I think introverts actually did okay during lockdown because they are comfortable, you know, figuring out projects and things to do on their own time or read a bunch of books, which obviously I know you do. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I read over 100 books a year. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. Some of them are graphic novels, though. Okay. So, you know, they're short. We're going to hear more about that later for sure because I want to hear some more recent uh, uh, fiction Horror recommendations yes, from you. Definitely. But now, as I do with uh, all my first-time guests making their debut, I like to ask them, how did this all begin? <laughs> how did you become a cinephile? Well, I got to credit my parents. Yay, for, parents. Yeah, they're, they're the best. <laughs> um, so their first date was a double feature of Nosferatu and Freaks. Oh, my gosh. So obviously, like, it was meant to be. Yay. Um, and I exist. But yeah, they, <laughs> they were very, very into independent cinema. And when... You know, when I was born, they were like, we're not going to give this up. So I definitely ended up going to a lot of obscure movies, like talking about Whale Rider at school. Yeah, and I remember that movie. Everyone else did not know what I was talking about, but <laughs> it did foster a love of movies. And they also really like horror movies, too. My mom is like wow. a huge murderino. Like she loves true crime and stuff. And she showed me Silence of the Lambs as like a cautionary (laughs) tale. Like, don't help a guy move his couch into a truck, please. No. Um, And then my dad is just like super into Universal Monsters and like showed me all the Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe, William Castle. So all that stuff. I would like your parents to adopt me. Yeah. Uh, They're the best. Yeah, that's that's wonderful to hear because most of the time it's like a rebellious act against your parents. Because, yeah, I I, I was watching horror movies and listening to Nine Inch Nails and my parents are going, what are you doing? Don't do that stuff. It's going to warp your brain. And they were right. 
<laughs> in, they, in a good way, I think. I gotta get. I gotta give them a little credit because I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure they're listening to this. But um, so I was their first kid, and they didn't really know how to like parent when it came to like movies and ratings and stuff so they just went with the ratings much to my dismay because (laughs) I feel like I'm catching up on all the R-rated movies from my childhood like now as an adult Um, but any G, PG or PG-13 movies that came out between like I don't know mid-90s to mid-2000s I've probably seen. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) No I was binging a lot and we had because you're younger than me, but I was so privileged in that I had a cheater box, which was basically a cable box that allowed you to have access to HBO, Showtime, Cinemax. You know, it was like the ultimate streaming service for me. Uh, And yeah, my parents were sound sleepers. And so my first horror experience was going downstairs and seeing Nightmare on Elm Street while they were asleep. And I should have been asleep. And I saw it at the age of seven, and I wish I hadn't. Because the moment we see the first kill of Tina, I turned it off and went, "Uh uh-uh. Nope. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and to this day, Freddy will still appear in my dreams. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Some of those, like... Images. I was just talking to my friend about the Johnny Depp kill in that movie. Oh, yeah. It's like the most horrific thing. And actually, my dad told me that was the scariest movie that he ever saw, that and The Exorcist. So I did those not watch those for a while. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> but yeah, okay. So the horror genre is something that you gravitate towards. How did, Was that something that sort of developed over time i mean you mentioned your dad was a universal monster so maybe it was just sort of a gradual love but i i I always wonder about that too because i mean my dad was not a horror person but he showed me young frankenstein before i saw frankenstein you know and it it makes sense you don't want to scar your child but (laughs) i also saw young frankenstein pretty yeah pretty young yeah yeah. yeah. So it gives you interesting context for when you finally catch up with the real Frankenstein, exactly. the original. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I don't know why I was really into horror. I think I think because I like special effects, I like mm-hmm. practical effects. Um and also, yeah, as we were talking before, like I'm an anxious individual and I really do think that it helps to work through some anxieties. Yeah. To watch something like this is a this is a guaranteed moment where you can be scared. And and you're allowed to be scared and it's like culturally acceptable. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, and it's also like a very hard movie to make to mm-hmm. actually be scary and actually suspend disbelief in that way. Yeah. Similar to comedies, it's hard to make people laugh. Yes. Like it's easier to make people cry than it is to scare people or make them laugh, I think. Exactly. So I don't understand why horror doesn't get the love and respect it deserves. Same with comedies, actually, when it comes to awards season, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And maybe that's another reason. Like, I love the underdog. (laughs) (laughs) I love genre films because they're kind of like, you know, the secret that some people know about, you and I know about. Oh, sure. Um, I, I think it's funny to think back to even high school because I was just known as like, yeah, you're, you're, you're the horror guy and you know, all the, you know everything about those movies and you could probably do trivia and all that fun stuff and I knew all, all the directors and everything. But then suddenly, cut to many years later, 
the internet blows up, then podcasts blow up, and I'm like, oh, there's like thousands of people like me, and in most cases, they know a whole lot more than I do, to where I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is wonderful. There's a nice little niche of horror fans out there that we can connect to, thanks to social media, too, but... That's also something I have a love-hate relationship with. <laughs> you know, same here, yeah. for sure. Um, I'll also mention the VHS covers at oh, the video for, yeah, store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like, was big for me, too. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The holographic ones. Amazing. Do you remember the one from Frankenhooker? Yes, I do. <laughs> that was so much fun to go to the video store and press the button. Yep. Yep. I do remember that. Say, you oh want a God. date? <laughs> <laughs> there was um, a blockbuster by my house. I think it was blockbuster. Maybe it was Hollywood video, but, you know, in <sighs> middle school or whatever, I would just go, you know, with my friends. I had a friend who loved going to movies, um, and she would drag me to every single movie, and then we would rent them, and she really actually got me into horror in a big way. She showed me The Sixth Sense. Yay. Which terrified me oh, yeah. late at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, that makes sense for sure. I, yeah. uh, as I've probably talked about it a couple of times, but I, I think seeing The Gate and Poltergeist 3 on cable were two things that made me go, oh my gosh, movies can do this. Movies can be this weird and, and strange and scary and creepy. I mean, I have, I've said that Poltergeist 3 isn't a great movie, but it's just it has such indelible imagery that... I can't get out of my head for whatever reason. Absolutely, you know, and the mirror effects are wonderful. So, I mean, seeing that at a young age just really cemented that I'm. This is my. This is my jam. <laughs> you know, yes. I just think this is where I'm going to be focusing my energy on. And of course, we had a local video store that was just like, oh yeah, you can rent whatever you want. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love video. I miss them so I know, much. I know. I think I grabbed a VHS tape of The Grudge, the American mm. version, um, so many times that the video store attendant was like, you can just have that. <laughs> so it's definitely still at my parents' house. Aw. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't keep a lot of my VHS tapes, and I feel bad that I didn't. I think I still have a couple left here, probably. Um, the reason why I have this is because oh Keith Gordon has shown up on my show every year. This, oh, by the way, I should tell people what I'm holding up. Static. Static. It's a VHS of Static, which is very hard to find now, and it's Mark Romanek's first film. And he did a lot of crazy music videos, but um, I don't know. This is just a really weird, fascinating movie, and a great new wave soundtrack is on that. But I don't think I'll ever get rid of that. <laughs> it's special. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I have like... A lot of weird things throughout my collection, as I'm sure you do as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you've also just sort of developed into, I don't know if what influencer <laughs> in a way, like <laughs> on Instagram in terms of recommending horror books and films and things like that. Yeah. Weirdly. I used to not put myself online at all. And now <laughs> I'm like extremely online. Um, yeah, Chloe's Not Scared is my my blog and my Instagram, and they call it Bookstagram if you talk about books. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I'm a Bookstagram influencer, and I read a, I read a lot of strange books. I read a lot of what what I think I think could be described as like weird fiction or speculative hmm. fiction. Um, I I say it's all horror though. 
because horror fans like to like even if there's just one scary moment they're like that's a horror movie or that's a horror book right even though it's just one moment so they claim it as their own (laughs) we claim it as our own (laughs) i just it's funny because i thought of um when i was first like you know, getting into Instagram and seeing like how people use it. I just went, Oh, Reese Witherspoon. She does like book bookstagram stuff. Like she sort of, I think she has a whole separate probably uh handle for all that stuff that she does. Like, I mean, it reminds me of what Oprah used to do with her yes. book, book club. Yes. And there's, um, I, th- I think it's Reese Witherspoon's book club. There's another star who's like really into that too. Uh, Emma, Emma Watson. Oh yeah, Hermione. Sure. Yeah, she's also really into the the bookish. That's so cool stuff. Yeah. I wish I had more discipline and focus to read. <laughs> I don't know. For me, it's like always been challenging. I mean, I, I see people do it on the train, and sometimes, like, if there's too much motion, I get nauseous. Yeah, oh, me too. Oh. Me too. I I do audiobooks a lot. Yeah, I um, probably should do that too because I, I I went through a phase where I listened to a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. But it's funny, like, as a librarian, I'm like, I should be reading more. But I'm primarily known as the movie guy anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like that's that that makes you interesting, right? Like so many librarians are just I love books. I want to read all the time. That's why I got into this. The people (laughs) that don't read are the ones I want to be friends with. Like, yeah, it's it's interesting. I know. And you know what else is interesting? The horror genre, especially lately. Yes. And. For this particular episode, I think we just came to this decision, right, um, together when we were walking around with C2E2, at, at, during C2E2, I think, where sort of just said, well, what director could we cover that would be interesting to talk about? And I think you actually mentioned James Wan. Yes. I like to think more that I'm doing horror films that are not afraid to sort of push the boundaries, um, but that still play within, you know, that sort of commercial genre space. But really, you know, it's just me growing up loving all kinds of horror movies. And, uh, you know, I've, I've done my time in the haunted house genre. I've done my time in sort of like the ghostly sort of space. So I, you know, as a filmmaker, I'm always trying to expand and just kind of push my horizon. And, uh, and I think that's the great thing about the horror genre is it really lets you kind of free you up to try things and do things. And that's the most important thing for me is like just trying to stay original. And, and you know, and even if I'm inspired by things that I love, I want to find an interesting new way to do them. I wouldn't call him my favorite director of all time. No. But I think he is making really interesting horror movies in the past 10 or 20 years. So... And he has a big catalog to work with, mm-hmm. though not as big as you'd think. He he produces a lot of the movies that I just kind of assumed he directed. Could do to. a whole separate podcast on the movies he's produced. But this is not producers club. No, this is directors club. Thanks. I you know, I was confused as to what what we were doing. Yes. But you you helped. You Glad helped to clear immensely. It up. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I also, I, I it's. When we were sort of debating between James Wan and Mike Flanagan, I, part of me is like, I would, I connect more strongly to Mike Flanagan's work. Um, 
you know, and again, it would be like a, it probably you could do a two part episode of Mike Flanagan because you could cover his mini series that are just blowing up on Netflix, have been for a while now, um, and then all of his great feature films, yes. that, most of which I kind of love more or less. For the yeah, I think even going back to his debut, but James Wan was somebody who was like, hmm, question mark over my head. Am I really going to have a lot to say about this guy? Because I don't like love everything about him or love all of his films. And at the same time, I, anytime I do one of these episodes, when you watch a bunch of films in a row by a particular director, you start to notice connections and little things that keep popping up or certain themes that make it more interesting to talk about. And also I've lightened up. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. Everybody knows from back all the way back to episode two, my thoughts on Rob Zombie and recently just did a rewatch of Devil's Rejects. And, you know, and I went, you know what? Why do I why why did I hate this so much? I just had a like I was knives out for Rob Zombie because I just thought he was a poser who just wanted to make, you know, like 70. Like he just loves Toby Hooper so much and he wants to let you know with every single movie he makes. And it just drove me nuts. But I don't know. I, I, I warmed up to it a little bit more. I don't love it like the way a lot of horror. What, what are your thoughts on Rob Zombie? I don't. I'm, I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, I'm not either. You know, and then I kind of went, okay, I could see why people love Devil Tree's Jacks as opposed to going, God, this is garbage. You know, yes. but I think for the most part, I do think his movies are garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really find a lot of redeeming qualities. In his work. No, I I don't even try anymore with him, which is yeah. unfortunate to say. You don't need to see the monsters, for crying out loud. No, please don't. <laughs> please don't make me see the monsters. Oh, shoot. Well, I was going to do a Rob Zombie episode with you next, so. Oh, gosh. I, know, no, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't subject you to that. But um, I think it's a lot easier to talk about James Wan because... He's changed the face of horror, <laughs> you Absolutely, know? Absolutely, yes. Within yes. the past, what, like 10, 15 years now? How long is it? We're coming on 20 years 20 with Saw. 20 years with Saw, oh yes. My God. Next year is the 20th year, the 20th year, yeah. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Well, as I said, my feelings on him in general are mostly mixed positive. Like, I lean more towards, you know... Uh, if we're doing the letterbox scores, <laughs> 3.5 kind of range, Agreed. I would say. Yes, me too. Um, like there's, with the exception of one, which is later in his career, I never felt like overwhelming love the way I felt most people had for his work. And that even goes to my first viewing of Saw mm-hmm. um, in the theater when it first came out. I kind of went, nice try. Uh, <laughs> I was more of like, I thought of it as just another seven kind of a movie yeah. at the time. It does have that vibe. I feel like I, I researched some of his favorite films for this podcast, and I was so surprised not to see any David Fincher films yeah, on I his know. list because it just seems like he takes so much of that from from seven, from other Fincher films, even like the color schemes somewhat. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can see that. Especially with seven, like there's, it's sort of like high contrast darkness exactly <laughs> going on, but I mean, there's no denying that it's he's been kind of like the right guy at the right time, right place scenario with like something that he you know him and Lee Winnell obviously collaborated on Saw, 
And I don't know if they really set out to make something that was going to make a huge cultural impact or anything. It was just like, we got, you know, a very low budget. We want to do something. They were kind of inspired a little bit by Blair Witch and just even the sort of like guerrilla style of filmmaking and just saying, oh, let's just put on credit cards (laughs) like Kevin Smith did or something, you know? Uh, But yeah, I know he did something before that, which is you can't even find it anywhere. I even uh, Stygian. It's one yeah. thing I could not find it anywhere at all. I, I think he's pretty much denounced that. Yeah, and Saw feels like the right debut. Yeah, feature of his. Yeah, I think him and Lee Wanell made a short film of Saw and then developed yes. it into yes. a longer movie, which I did not see Saw at the time. <laughs> see Saw. I did not see Saw. <laughs> um, I I was I was too scared. Um, and I saw the effect, like the cultural effect in Mm -hmm. horror after that was just like very disturbing and not appealing to me. Yes. Like the Eli Roth torture porn, whatnot. But I feel like I've seen all the movies that were inspired by Saw. So I actually did watch Saw this year for the first time. Wow. Yes. It was, it still kind of freaked me out to be honest, but I think that's just like, you know, residual teenage fears. <laughs> mm. Well, I'm not good with being trapped and yeah. not being able to leave. Yeah. I think that's kind of a normal feeling for a lot of people. Like just the idea of like, oh, I can't leave this environment at all. I mean, that certainly applies to my love of John Carpenter's The Thing. Is just, where the hell are these guys going to go? They can't escape The Thing. You know, it's just, it's inescapable. So... Yes. When they're when these two characters are trapped in their environment, it's very unnerving for for the audience, I would imagine. But also, I still feel similarly to when I first saw it in that I don't think Carrie Elways and Danny Glover are particularly good in the film. But then again, watching all of James Wan's work, I don't know if he's an actor's director per se. Like I I wouldn't say. I am blown away by performances in James Wan's movies. Like he sort of lets the hamminess or cheesiness happen. <laughs> I would agree with that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I, I wouldn't call any of the actors that he uses over and over and over my favorite actors, yeah. but they do work with him over and over again, which I think is a good sign. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. I think so too. Um, from what I can tell, he seems like a very amicable guy. Yeah, <laughs> like he seems he seems energized. pretty cool. Yeah, he has pink hair, I think, right now. Oh, cool! Something like that. I don't know. He's quite young, too. Yeah, yeah. I think he's like four, forty-five or something. Well, he's so. also, gosh, that's scary. <laughs> um, but he cited Poltergeist as the movie that got him into horror. Like his parents took him to see Poltergeist, and I think that's why he has like an obsession with killer dolls. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> which comes up constantly. Um, but yeah, I saw is just a really interesting movie in terms of what it did. Um, we do have to s- touch upon just the terminology of torture porn because yeah. I don't know if it's applicable for the first movie anyway. I don't know if it's applicable because I mean, yes, he's you know he has concoctions and he does torture people with his devices, I guess at times it sort of became 
like that's the central focus on the sequels. I imagine I haven't seen all the sequels to be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could endure them all. To it's like that's fair. Yeah, it's just I don't know if I want to see people getting brutally. I mean, no. even if they're jerks, I don't exactly. know if I would enjoy that experience. So, but I don't know when I even back then when the term was first being used, I just thought. I could see that applying to snuff films because like pornography, you're actually watching people have sex for real for the most part. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's staged in some cases, but you know, in, in terms of torture porn, we're not actually seeing real people being tortured. It's exactly. It's all fiction. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it is a misnomer and I yeah. probably should have said that at the, at the start, but I think that it's, it's really unjustly labeled mm-hmm. as that. And also looking back on it and maybe it's just, you know, re- uh, watching it in 2023, I, I didn't think it was that bloody. I didn't yeah. think it was gory. It was more suggestive, if anything. But if I told that to someone who who had never seen it or heard of it before and just heard about it, I don't think they'd believe me. Right. It's interesting how the original, you can even think of Texas Chainsaw or the original Halloween, there isn't a lot of on-screen gore. No. I just saw Texas Chainsaw for the first time, too, which is crazy. <gasps> I've That's my favorite horror movie. It's so good. It's so good. I watched Texas Chainsaw 2 for a film class in college, which Mm. is weird that I saw it for the first one. Yes. And then I saw X, obviously, with Ty West. Mm -hmm. And I think seeing X actually before Texas Chainsaw really. That must have been interesting. Yes. It it was fantastic. I watched it at the gym, and (laughs) my, my partner was like, that's kind of scary. Like, imagine a girl on a treadmill watching Texas Chainsaw on her iPad at the gym. Wow. Like, that's you wouldn't you wouldn't fuck with that person. No, can you swear? <laughs> yes, swear all you want. Yeah. So I felt very powerful watching Texas Chainsaw oh at gosh. the gym. And I'd be the weirdo, be like, "You're watching Texas Chainsaw at the gym. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen." <gasps> oh my god, <laughs> that's my favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> but then you'd be freaked out by the guy who's like, that's my favorite movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, just a, a real quick tangent. I went on a first date once and it was interesting because normally you don't go on a first date to somebody's house. Normally you go out to dinner or you go to a movie like most people do. Yes. But she's like, you can come over. I'll cook you dinner. I'm like, cool. So we have a nice dinner and the conversation's going great. And you know, this Pretty good taste, we, we, you know, like in terms of movies and music and stuff. We had good conversations about that, and that's important and everything. So she sits me down, and she's like, okay, I'm going to show you a movie now. And I re- like, she was putting pressure on me to like it, but she's like, I really hope you like this movie. Because um, it scared. speaks to me. And I went, <laughs> okay. And it's a movie called Martyrs. Oh, my God. And I went, Okay, I haven't seen it, but I think I've heard about it. It's pretty intense, right? And she's like, oh, oh, yeah, it is. And so when it's over, she asked me if I loved it. And I went, I don't know what I feel about that. I, I need to take a minute. I don't. And she wasn't, she was kind of disappointed that I wasn't like, oh my God, that was incredible or something, you know? That's shocking. Isn't like that a weird? First date? Yeah, that's like an ultimate test. Yes, exactly. Like, how do you, I don't know. I, that, I wait a like six dates or something (laughs) and you kind of have to and also like not not inviting you to like a public place first yeah to like get to know you and stuff and 
I don't. I, don't, I, it did, I, don't I mean, it didn't go. That. <laughs> we we went on the second date and we went to see a movie. Uh, it was I think Katie Holmes was in this remake. Don't go in the house or don't don't be afraid of the dark. Okay. I think it was and it wasn't good. And yeah, that was that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like I I was excited because like oh you're into horror and you love Jeff Buckley and you like a lot of the same music and stuff, and yeah, but. Showing martyrs was too much for me. Oh yeah, and I'm a horror guy. Yeah, I I don't think I can do martyrs. I haven't no. seen it. I don't really want some of the to. French extreme stuff, like inside. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I just I don't want to see that extreme. <laughs> no. I, don't, I don't know. I'm getting like uh, like I say, I lightened up, but I'm also at an age where I kind of I'm a little more discerning with my preferences and taste and things I think I can handle. Yeah. Like, I don't want to traumatize myself even more. <laughs> I've seen a lot. Like, to me, there's parts of It Follows. I'm like, oh, God, you know. Oh, yeah, the opening. Yeah. I, like, kind of have to close my eyes at that. Yeah. It's it's very disturbing. I I did watch Cachet for a, a French class in Ooh. high school. And that was, like, that was actually a gateway horror. Mm-hmm. But... Intense in a different way, yeah. gateway horror. I'm glad I didn't go through like this French extremity route. Yeah. Well, even when I saw that. High Tension, I'm like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. But Saw, I'm more positive about in general now. Like, I don't, I don't love it, <laughs> but I can appreciate it. I can sort of look past some of the flaws and recognize its place in horror culture because everything kind of changed from there. And I think mostly for okay reasons like I, I i again like i'm not huge into the hostile stuff and there's a lot of these types of movies that came as a result of the popularity and success of saw uh there's just a lot of the, like the collector or all these kind of movies yeah. where you know people are being imprisoned and tortured or just put through horrible scenarios like i i don't know i, I might have texted you this but my my comfort zone with this type of idea of people being subjected to things is final destination because I don't mind those movies because it does have humor <laughs> and yes, you know, yes. and a sense of like, um, like just, they feel more like carnival rides. I don't know how to describe them. Like just the scenarios or the things that people are put into just, they're a little bit more relaxed <laughs> than saw where it's like, you're going to, get impaled with something and you're going to bleed for, for a long time. So, yeah. And the, and saw also has like the morality yeah, thing going on, but, um, watching it again in 2023, I think one of the victims, one of Jigsaw's victims is, ha- is battling with like a drug addiction. Mm-hmm. That is that really necessary that she needs to like appreciate her life more? Like we all know addiction is a mental illness and sometimes yeah. you can't really help that. So I don't know. It just it's it seemed a little iffy for me. I would have some words with Jigsaw. <laughs> well, he wants to teach you a lesson. That's his whole point. <laughs> and that's yeah, but that's also that's kind of why when I first saw it, it's like that's all that's kind of what the killer in seven is played by someone we won't name anymore. Uh, but <laughs> that's what he's saying at the end of that movie is basically, I'm trying to teach humanity a lesson about what they've become and who they are and make the right choices and all this stuff. And yeah. uh, I don't know, like debatable. Yeah. I, I, I'm torn, but I'm more like 
forgiving again. And I mean, the first time I saw it, I was just like really kind of snotty about it. Like, Pugh. you know, you're, you're no David Fincher, or James Wan, <laughs> that sort of a feeling about it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just, and again, like, I don't think the acting is that great, but I think that's just something you can overlook for like, that's the weakness. And you can sort of focus on the strengths of the storytelling and just, of course he has to have a twist. Of course. You know. Of course he does. And I don't know if anyone really decide, like could figure out that this was going to be a huge franchise. Yeah. Like I think it's like one of the most profitable horror franchises, if not the most profitable. That's why they keep making them. That's yeah, Saw X just came out this Which month. Which wasn't bad. And it was like I know you texted me that. <laughs> the only reason why I watch is because they were saying it was uh was it a prequel to the first one? No, wait, it's a sequel to the first one and a prequel to the second one. Yes. Which was just an interesting idea to do that. And I, they kind of do that all over the place with these Conjuring movies, too, where it's yeah. like or Insidious and they just Halloween. jump back and forth. They, I know that's not yeah. fun, but they recently did that with Halloween, too. Uh, we don't have to talk about those. No, um, please don't. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I understand they want to keep the, keep ideas fresh and... They really wanted you to feel empathy for Jigsaw Killer in Saw X. And I was just like, hmm, weird. Yeah. yeah. Very <laughs> in terms strange. of what he goes through, it's it's like there's commentary in the medical industry, you know, and just there's a lot a lot more going on than I expected. I think anybody expected mm-hmm. with Saw X. And I am giving it a mild recommendation. <laughs> like That's I don't good. think it's great or anything. There's certainly flaws, but um I think it just was a surprise that it wasn't all just torture and grossness. Yeah. There's a little bit more uh, con- uh, subtext and context and all that. So, um, I think the horror community really did end up liking it. To, yeah. To my knowledge. Yeah. I did not see it, but. But here's how I've been framing my rewatches of James Wan. I almost liken them to B movies and in which there's bad acting, bad dialogue, and yet like kind of a final act reveal that makes you go, Oh, like that sort of makes it all worthwhile in a way, or it makes you rethink the rest of the movie. But a lot of these, particularly the, the, the last one just remind me of movies I rented with my friends, yes. <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's, I, I wouldn't call them high art and I wouldn't put them on the same pedestal as some of my favorite horror movies like it follows or hereditary or some of the more recent ones that have just stood out. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I just sort of gave in and was like, I guess I like James Wan. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I gave in as well. I, I, I think I told you this before when we were trying to decide which horror director to do, but he, I don't think I've rated any of his movies like above a three. Mm-hmm. On Letterboxd, maybe I've, well, there's one that I think went up there, but mostly just like, yeah, you know, for guilty pleasure reasons, which we'll talk about later. But um, yeah, he, he has elements in his movies that I like mm-hmm. a lot sure. and that I think are kind of the most interesting things that horror has been doing in the past few years. Like he kind of reinvented a jump scare technique. He's yeah. really good at tension. So yeah. The sound design is something I noticed for the, especially once we get to conjuring. Yes. I'm just like, wow, it's just beautifully done. Really. I mean, he's got a distinctive visual style. 
Um, again, we talked about just like this dark shadowy kind of palette, which I guess creates like an ominous and foreboding atmosphere for the most part. Like, but at the same time, you know, even in like his action death wish movie death sentence, he kind of does the same thing. I don't think it works in the same way. It's like, I'm intentionally trying, it's very Rob Zombie. I'm intentionally trying to make a gritty seventies uh, revenge thriller mm-hmm. and I'm going to make it look like that. It's all, it's, it's not unlike to what bugged me about Robert Rodriguez's planet terror. It's like, you're trying too hard yeah. to capture a certain feel or era of movies as, as opposed to letting it happen organically, which Tarantino did with death proof. I feel, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. And that's so interesting because I feel like James Wan is kind of like the king of original IP. Mm. And I don't think he made Saw or Insidious or The Conjuring thinking this is going to be a huge success with multiple spinoffs, different universes, you know. I don't think... It's just an interesting idea that he he goes with, especially like the Lee Whannell, James Wan projects in the early days. Yeah. Again, I don't think they set out to necessarily set the world on fire. They just wanted to make something that they would find entertaining and hopefully others would too. And they certainly did. I mean, it's, it's, it is funny to think of how many 20 years later there's a saw sequel. I know <laughs> it's similar to like what we're talking about. You know, I can't believe there's another Friday the 13th movie for a while. You know, I just, and they're not even that great. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of the same thing with just, you know, different directors and different directorial flourishes throughout that, make them distinct, distinctive from one another. But I don't know. I feel like all the Saw movies, kind of, I, mean, I haven't watched them all, so I probably shouldn't comment, but they all just kind of look the same to me. I sound like one of those dismissive people who talks about horror sequels, like, oh, no, no, they don't, they don't look like they're anything special. But maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe the contraptions and the weird things that he does to people get more interesting over time. I couldn't tell you. No, I don't no. know. We need a Saw franchise expert to come on. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, like... You know, do I care about these characters in this scenario? Not so much. They're kind of, <laughs> they're there, but I'm still curious to see how they're going to get out of it. It's almost like a video game. Yeah. Like, Saw would make a great video game. Yeah, I think I thought <laughs> that when I was, when I was watching So it's like it an too. escape room. Yes, it is exactly an escape room. Yeah. Um, I know that for Insidious, he was like, I want to get away from this R-rated, like, gore, torture, porn moniker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to make a PG-13 horror and was it PG thirteen? Yes, wow. it's one of the scariest yeah. PG thirteen movies. I would have thought I that think. was R when I was yeah. watching. It's like this is scary. Yeah, it's legit scary. Yeah, I think that and and um, the Ring actually. Though I don't know if that's scary anymore. Kids don't know what like VHSs are. Oh, I think stuff, it's scary. So. <laughs> <laughs> Parts of it are very scary. Yeah. The horse and uh, oh, yes. just the shot of her in the closet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and Insidious is scary too. We can talk about Insidious because Please. after two movies that begin with either death or dead in the title that he did, which we can touch upon briefly later, um, Juan returned to the horror genre with Insidious. He's not in a coma. They don't know what to call it.
went into Dalton's room, there was something in there with him. I know someone who can help. We took Trifield and EMF readings of the whole house, wiring, alarm clocks. I don't think bad wiring is the problem here. I want to leave. I want to leave this house. What is it? It premiered at the 2010 Toronto International Film Festival as part of like the Midnight Madness series that they do. And man, it sold pretty much right away. That's great. <laughs> For like a seven-figure sum. And I think they just, like the, the I think it was Sony Pictures knew like, we got a we got a winner right yeah. here. I think this is going to connect with a lot of people, and it did. Uh, but again, like I I still feel like he's sort of taking the <laughs> he's like sort of mashing Poltergeist with Exorcist in these in these upcoming franchises and doing it very successfully. Like I wouldn't call it derivative, but I don't know if either of these franchises are wholly original. You know, I think he just. He works well with familiar territory, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, they're well done and well executed to where I'm totally engrossed in the moment. And then I think back and I kind of go, well, yeah, but those the plots and the scenarios I think we've seen in a lot of horror movies before. Mm -hmm. He just knows that genre. He knows the tropes and he knows how to use them successfully. Yes, and in the Insidious movies, more than any other, I feel like the costumes really mm -hmm. reflect that. I, I definitely saw some like Carnival of Souls ghouls oh, sure. in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think for that movie, the costume designer was Denise Cronenberg. Oh, no, no, no. That was for Dead Silence, which we will Ooh. talk about before. But yeah, Denise Cronenberg. Cronenberg connection, nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for Insidious, like the, even the villain, that Darth Maul looking uh, guy, he's called the lipstick faced demon. <laughs> that's what he's called. Did you know that? I think I did. And I just kind of blocked it out. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, that's I know, the part of the movie I'm like, mm, I don't know. Really? I'm kind of a fan of him. He's, he's got like an interesting sharpening design. his nails. Yeah, that then, part's, yeah. 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 But I just like, I almost feel like, oh, you have to go that route of like we gotta have a like freddy krueger or some type of familiar villain that but i mean i was expecting him to be a part of all the sequels and he's not at he's all. not at all yeah and they took um they they decided to go well here's the thing so james wan i feel like really focuses in on like the practitioners mm. of the supernatural either the detectives or the psychics or the great Lin Shay. <laughs> yes. The great Lin Shay. And they, they kind of take her character and mm, build a franchise around her. Um, which is interesting because yeah. spoiler, she does die in the end right, at of the very the first, first one. one. So I don't know why they did that. I mean, that, that to me, states that they didn't know this was going to be a big franchise. Um, but it is, it's so low budget when you really look at it. Yeah. It's, it made me think though, like I wish Poltergeist had given us the Tangina backstory or we could have explored yes. more of her history. That, I would have loved that because yeah. <laughs> I love her so much, but I mean, it's, I, I mean, I think the first Insidious is pretty great for the most part. I do too. Yeah. There's yeah. some effective, creepy things going on throughout this movie to where, yeah, I, I, again, I'm not necessarily as 
enamored with Patrick Wilson. <laughs> yeah, but, let's talk about that. I'm also not enamored with him. Yeah. And it seems like we are he's the minority fine. here. Yeah, he's, he's just, fine with a capital F. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I don't know why, like, he doesn't bring a whole lot, uh, like, I mean, he doesn't emote or he doesn't really, I don't know. There's just something... He's just average. I don't know. Yeah. Like he just he's there and he's serviceable. He yes. does the job. Yes. But I don't know if he ever like brings anything exceptional. Yeah. As an actor. I mean, he's probably had moments throughout that like, you know, he's in Hard Candy or Little Children or mm-hmm. something. You know, he's in very good movies, but I never think of him as like the standout either. Yeah. Maybe because he takes these roles. <laughs> I don't know. Like he takes like kind of scary screwed up character yeah. roles. Yeah, that's probably true. Right. Yeah. So he just fits a certain type after a while yes. and you just kind of know what to expect. Um I like Rose Byrne. She's nice. <laughs> you know, I'm not a huge Rose Byrne person, but yeah. it you know, I feel she like does I'm fine in, yeah. Too. She's okay. Um and yeah, but I mean really in terms of acting I, I don't go look to these movies for the best, strongest acting either. So, exactly. but there are jump scares, and I think that they don't feel tiresome or lazy. Like it isn't the cliche cat jumping out, yeah. <laughs> you know, or something like that. There's really a good feeling of dread throughout both Insidious and Conjuring. Like I feel uneasy, <laughs> you know, yeah. watching his movies. He's here. great at building tension. Yeah. He's fantastic at that. And also, like, I think it's the first Insidious where the, the I'm not going to say the lipstick face demon, because I don't, <laughs> I'm not built, I'm not going to go into that. But he's Let's like, just behind, say Darth Maul. He, Darth <laughs> Maul kind of pops up, and it's a jump scare during the day. Mm. And that's always so fascinating because you really don't know it's coming that whole movie is so dark there's just sad music going on the whole time half of it is in the dream world and which is very dark to where i can't always see what's going on yeah (laughs) actually coming here i was watching clips of it on the train i could not see yeah it was it's impossible it was impossible i want more horror set during the day (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah so patrick wilson sitting at that table and the lipstick face demon it's like lurking behind him (laughs) yeah popping out and um and i don't know yeah there's more subtle things like there's certainly the stuff with like the baby monitors creepy um very paranormal activity yeah which Again, as a franchise, I'm not too crazy about, but it has effective scares for sure. Uh, but it's just, yeah, like I mean, his some of his some of his cinematography is really interesting, and I'll certainly get to more of that as we move forward. But yeah, you t- you talk about like there's some jump scares during the day, like she's walking through the house, and the camera is sort of like you know around, like she's walking outside at one point, and the camera is staying in, within the house. And then it cuts to her outside, and I guess there's like a figure by the piano or something at one point that just like, and you don't expect it, and there's actually not like a huge sound cue or anything. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually better when you don't do the loud yeah. with the sound. So, I, I, and again, that's like kind of what I appreciated about it follows so much is that there's just people lurking, and you're sort of like trying to see where they're at, mm-hmm. you know, in very subtle ways. Mm-hmm. So, I think he does that with Insidious. And, 
you know, just, I don't, I really get, oh, I feel bad when kids are put in peril. I know. <laughs> that poor kid. Yeah. I'm just like stuck in, what is it, the further? The further. Yeah. 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 I mean, the father-son connection and the fact that he went through something with the same villain mm-hmm. and he didn't remember it and he repressed it. I mean, there's a lot about trauma going mm-hmm. on here. Generational trauma. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And It's not really like hitting it over mm-hmm. our heads with, like some yeah. of the movies nowadays do. Yeah, his trauma. themes are really subtle. The only thing is, is like he does have a tendency to get a little exposition heavy or have characters, especially towards the end, explain everything that's happened and how it's come to be. That mm-hmm. sort of thing kind of like makes my eyes roll. But for the most part, I smile as opposed to like, oh, Why'd you have to do that? Why'd you have to explain everything? We could have figured out for ourselves. He thinks we're dumb, so we have to just explain it all. No, it's it still works. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I I will mention too the um the psychic medium. Mm-hmm. She has the best costume. She she has the gas mask. Oh right! Oh yeah! Like ooh, ooh. oh my god! That's so inventive. That's so interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that in a horror movie before. I don't even really know why she does it. I think maybe they explain it, but I've blocked it out. I think they do, and I can't remember either. Yeah, but (laughs) it's just a cool technique. Oh, that's a creepy seance moment for sure. I mean, very poltergeist. Yeah, yeah. And he starts writing things down too, like that. Yeah. That whole sequence, yeah, that's very, very effective. Mm Mm-hmm. I really like a good seance sequence. <laughs> Me too. I love, I Hereditary. love haunted house yeah. movies. I love seance movies. Like, it's the best. Oh yeah, and this one is really good. I mean, the sequel is pretty good for the most part. I think I, the best part I like about it is that he has to do the Back to the Future Part Two thing and kind of like go into like at one point he's sort of like going back in time to the first movie. Like he's traveling. I don't know how to yes. explain it, but no, he's that's, traveling. No, that's back. the best part of that movie. Yeah. It's, I mean, it could be. Because he's affecting his past self while he's trying to figure things out in the further. It's just, it really plays with good with space and time, mm-hmm. which is one of the re- huge reasons why I love Oculus is the editing in that movie is phenomenal. That does a very similar thing. Yes. Yeah. I love it. But that. all in one movie. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I I like the sequel, for the most part. The sequel's part. okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like it okay. Um, I, I do think the Back to the Future Part 2 aspect is yeah. the most interesting part. Um, I think it could be argued that they needed to fill in some gaps. Mm-hmm. But that's fine <laughs> by me. It works. Sure. Yeah. Patrick Wilson running around, making noises, closing the door, opening cupboards. Yeah. That's be- fine. Yeah, he's being creepy. <laughs> he's being creepy. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's interesting that, um, you know, Lee Whannell has gone on to be very accomplished in his own right with, uh, he did the recent Invisible Man. Yes. And a couple other films on his own. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought he did fine with, I mean, they, it does seem like diminishing returns is with sequels in general, but he did pretty good with the third one. I was uh, like, oh, yeah, Lee Whannell, Lee Whannell is a good director, too. I forgot that you you watched all of the Insidious movies. I didn't watch them all. Oh, okay. You didn't <laughs> I watch- know that like they get worse as they go along. I got up to four, and I said, 
I don't know if I'll watch the fifth one just because I keep hearing how bad it is. So, yeah. I mean, I, I I do appreciate that Lin Shay comes back mm-hmm. in in three over and, and over. four, yeah, yep. especially. But um, no, I th- I think like uh, you know just it's it is it is remarkable thinking of how they managed to do spinoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, they've certainly done that with a number of TV shows over the years, but the way they sort of built their own like Marvel-like universe out of all of these movies is just kind of fascinating. But I also don't get as over-enthused about following all of them because I don't know if I need to see The Nun. <laughs> I mean, there's... You I, don't. I, and I, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like they're, they're, they're... I just listen to what other people have to say sometimes. Like if yeah. they all say, oh, this is amazing, um, then I will venture out to it but for the most part they just seem like retreads i think his movies are really good for crowd watches yeah like going to the theater i i did see the nun too recently mm-hmm. less boring than the nun that's what i heard um and really yeah i really liked the crowd we were all gasping and (laughs) (laughs) laughing mostly sure um but yeah in the conjuring movie i saw in the theater i don't think i saw the insidious movies in the theater maybe but i don't i don't think so well i mean it's i I think back to the theater experience can really elevate a kind of like a standard horror movie. I mean, even the Ouija origin of evil sequel, mm-hmm. which I thought was actually pretty good. Way better than Ouija. Oh yeah. Yeah. But in the it's theater. It's again. Yeah, the exactly. Yeah. But in the theater, I was just like, damn, this is working like gangbusters. You know, I thought it was great. It was a great crowd and they're all screaming. And then they laugh and you know, it's a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, I, I would say that, you know, Insidious is like the blueprint almost. I mean, he's, I think it even reading an interview, he said that he didn't necessarily want to do another haunted house movie, but he sort of jumped at the opportunity, like, cause he's never told a true story, you know, with real life characters before. Mm-hmm. So he kind of wanted to do that with the conjuring. The conjuring. <laughs> Janelle, I can hear you breathing. You took your blindfold off. I win. I was in Christine and Nancy's room. (laughs) Girls, it's way past your bedtime. Uh, yeah, it's just like, you know, he had very great success with his, you know, Insidious franchise. So why not venture into something similar again? But this time it's a period piece, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And I kind of, did you know about the Warrens? I didn't before, before seeing the movie. No. Okay. I'm kind of, I like these true, quote unquote, true paranormal stories, yeah. like the ghost hunting shows and stuff. So I did know a little bit about them. So I was stoked to see a movie take their characters, their likenesses and, mm-hmm. and, and be made in, though they are 
pretty problematic. So we can talk about that maybe in Conjuring too. Ooh, ooh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all is revealed. Here's the hot gossip. No. <laughs> that's what <laughs> that's we're, that's actually what pretty sad for. and terrible. But I know. Um, but the Conjuring, yeah, based on a true story, starts with Annabelle, right? Right. Yeah. I love the opening Me scenes too. of those Me movies. Um, I also like the basement of haunted memorabilia <laughs> annabelle in real life just looks like a raggedy and doll um they made her yassified <laughs> in an evil mm. creepy way um and yeah and then so we kind of understand like the warrens and then we go to a different house where the family is getting haunted and there are so many characters so many kids to keep track of but in all it, of these movies there's a lot of kids there's a lot of kids kids in peril again man yeah. it's like it's sad they know how to get you with that they know how to get you yeah. yes but some good set pieces too like i think the the clapping game <laughs> is mm-hmm. rival rivaling like some of the horror great scenes like yeah the, the changeling with the ball going down oh, the stairs classic. that's kind of like replicated mm-hmm. in this another so. great movie with a great seance oh yeah 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 fantastic i love a haunted house movie i'm gonna say that a hundred times on this podcast well i mean poltergeist was another movie i loved <laughs> oh growing yeah up, me too you know so i understand where he's coming from and his love of that idea of just like you can have a lot of fun you know doing a haunted house you can come up with all sorts of things but i mean when i first saw this movie i was also like abby deville horror anybody mm-hmm. and then at the very end of the movie the warrens say hey we have a we have another case we gotta check out in long island i went wah wah i know where you're going i know where you're going yeah yeah you know how many amityville movies there are there's like 13 or 14 of them i like the one about the haunted clock I do too. It's called It's About Time. It's about time. <laughs> Amityville. I like that one. <laughs> it's about time. They're probably all on Tubi, but everyone, if you want to go watch them. I'm sure all the Amityville movies are on Tubi. God bless Tubi. Mm-hmm. Truly. God bless Tubi. Yeah, The Conjuring, though, like Bathsheba. I remember seeing this in the theater, and I was just, me and my friends were the only people laughing, Um, which is not (laughs) to say, like, it's bad or not scary. I actually thought some of of them were, some of it was very scary. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but at the end, when, uh, why am I blanking? Lorraine Warren tells the possessed person, remember that day at the beach? And she hearkens back to that happy time with her family at the beach. I don't know. I just, I just thought that was the corniest thing ever. And I was so surprised that people really responded to that, which it's not to say like I'm better than them or anything like that. I was just like, you rolled your eyes. I was just, yeah, I rolled my eyes. I laughed a little bit. And then I saw the conjuring just blow up and be so successful and fantastic. And I'm like, I'm fine with that. That's great. It is kind of silly. But it is kind of silly. It is kind of silly. I mean, it feels out of place in a movie like this, but it, it's so weird to have that response when everybody else is feeling something different. I remember when I saw Signs, and at the end of that movie, and everybody was like so into it, and like clearly engaged with what he's trying to do and creating suspense, but also move people with Mel Gibson's dead wife. But when she says... Like, as she's dying from a car accident, she says, swing away Mm -hmm. to Mel Gibson. And then it cuts to the present. And then he suddenly goes, 
Swing away? I could swing a bat at these aliens and beat them. Everybody was like, yes, and so into it. I started laughing, and people turned on, like they turned around like, what are you laughing at? I felt bad. I just felt bad because I thought it was silly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's a similar feeling, too, is just like, I don't know if you needed to do that. That was that was kind of a, you know, sappy choice, I guess, to suddenly go, remember this day at the beach. It's very sappy. It's very sentimental. Yeah. And extremely Christian and, mm. and Catholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I, I don't know if he's Christian, James I don't Wan. know. I don't, I don't know. I don't think he is. Maybe he is. I don't know. Is he just reflecting to what Ed and Lorraine believe? Maybe. Like their strong beliefs, I guess. You yes, know? they were. Maybe they that's were very how they Catholic. were. Yeah, yeah. That's what it seems like to me, anyway. But yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, we don't want Lily Taylor to die and be possessed, and you know, hurt her family under the house. Yeah, yeah. The crawl space. Oh, talking about Ooh. being trapped places. Don't want to be trapped in that crawl space. No. Um, were there any other moments that you felt like were scary? Well, I mean, I, I, I guess I just in, I inherently find being possessed scary. And, you know, Lily Taylor, when she starts screaming and freaking out, that whole sequence is pretty intense. Like most, I don't know if there's a lot of great exorcism movies out there, but I think when people just lose complete control, uh, that always freaks me out. Yeah. And, you know, it's and it's Lily Taylor. I love Lily Taylor. So I don't want I her know. to turn into a demon. And she's pretty good. I no, she's, she's very good. She's good. Yeah. No, she's... I want to say she might be the best actress out of everybody in all these movies. <laughs> but I don't know. She's Lily Taylor. She's great in everything. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, that, that... I mean, you mentioned the clapping. That certainly gets to me. Um, yeah, and just the fact that he doesn't... Like, the kids can see the spirit in the room, but we can't. That's really creepy. I mean, just, yeah, like, when the spirit is tugging at her and we don't, we can't see him. Just the power of suggestion. That yes. whole that whole thing works wonderfully. Yes. And when he stays subtle, I think that's when I'm mostly on board with James. That's why I want him to do, like, a G-rated movie or mm. a PG movie. I think he would be so good at that. Yeah. And I think it would be great gateway horror for the new for the new generation. Sadly, he's doing Aquaman too. Oh yeah, I know. I mean, that's where the money is. So I'm exactly. part of me is like thinking like he's going to do one for the studio and then one for us. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I that's so what too. I'm hoping. Let him do that. That's fine. I try I guess I got through Aquaman. I didn't we uh, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> like less said. It's just not for me. I understand people like it. It's great. It's just most comic book movies, most Marvel things, most superhero stuff just doesn't. I I actually find it numbing and boring most of the time. Yeah. I don't engage with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't a huge fan. I watched it. It was like on TV in a hotel room mm. when I was on vacation. So I watched some of it. It was fine. It was okay. Um, I I couldn't tell you what happened. I, that's how I feel. Yeah. I don't know. Not a Marvel fan over here. No. Not at sorry. all. Sorry. That's okay. People forgive us. We're horror fans. They like us. Yeah. Exactly. I hope, I hope um, so. But it's it's easy to see why the Nun became another spinoff because the the sequel to Conjuring has a very memorable, creepy sequence oh. involving the painting and certainly like. We're just waiting in anticipation to see what's going to happen in that whole sequence. And it's so 
well executed. Like he does a lot of good one takes or one or like you're just circling around in a room and waiting for something to happen. And yeah, there's some great moments in the sequel, but I don't like the sequel as much. And maybe it's because there's no Lily Taylor. I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, see, and I think I texted you. I was like, you know what? I think the I think the Conjuring Two is actually good. Mm. I think it's a lot mm. of people feel that way. It's actually. really yeah. It's it's pretty damn good. Mm. Um and. I I did know again about the Enfield poltergeist. That's mm. what the story is based on. Um, it's kind of like England's Amityville, which I think they say right. in the sequel. Yeah. So I did know about that. Also, the movie Ghost Watch um, from nineteen ninety or ninety one. Um, that is, it's kind of like a mockumentary from uh, a British. TV I think I've heard about this and I've never seen it. Maybe I'll watch it this coming weekend. Yeah, I think I I don't know what streaming channel it's on, but um, I watched I also watched it this season and realized that the Enfield haunting poltergeist um, inspired that as well. So yeah, Hmm. very similar. Do you feel that the Conjuring Two is long? <laughs> yes. Okay. I definitely do. <laughs> I like, remember horror movies shouldn't be two and a half hours or no. two hours and fifteen. A minutes. tight ninety is fine. Yeah, it truly is. No, I I psyched myself up for it. So I was working at a different library then, um, and I saw that it was out on DVD, and I mm. got it, and I was shocked that it was two and a half hours long, and I like carved out an afternoon to watch it, and the fact that it scared me during the day. Especially like <laughs> I I mean that's that's how it follows was for me yeah. too. I watched it during the day and I was like, I gotta go downtown or something, be around people. Like Are you sure you want to be around people? Because they might be following they you. They might be following <laughs> me. Yeah, the conjuring too also got me. There are some great moments in that, like when Patrick Wilson is interrogating the little girl. Oh yeah. That that might be my favorite part. Um, it's so it's a one shot it's a one shot and the things they're doing with her in the background and she's out of focus yes you just kind of like so basically for for those who hasn't haven't seen it patrick wilson is interviewing this little girl who is possessed and she asks him to turn around um because the the possessed I don't know poltergeist isn't going to talk (laughs) while they're looking at him of course because you know the entity he's very (laughs) self-conscious the entity um the entity bill and (laughs) so basically it's like focused on Patrick Wilson's face for half of the frame and then Mm -hmm. the other half is out of focus of this little girl sitting in a chair and it's a long take and at some point you just realize there's an old man sitting in that chair. Yeah. It's not a little girl sort of anymore. It morphs in the, into that image. And it's, again, you don't entirely see it because no. it's out of focus. It really sneaks up on you. It's yeah. like it's like when you take ibuprofen <laughs> and you're like, oh, my all my aches and pains are gone. I don't know when that happened, but that's the result. Mm. Um, and then, and then, he kind of morphs back into the little girl at the end too. And you kind of do notice that, but it's, it's very well done. Yeah. And yeah, the, the aforementioned nun picture with her, I just, yeah. Cause I'm, it's like the anticipatory anxiety of what's about to come. Yes. (laughs) And like, when's, when's, when's the nun going to pop out? 
because you see her like down the hall and you think that yeah. that's going to be the only the only scary moment right. and then she walks into the room and I, I i'll just pause this incredibly scary moment to say remember the scene where patrick wilson is painting this portrait of the mm. nun and it's just so <laughs> sentimental and corny yeah um he's like i just saw this this thing in my dream i just had to paint her and it's just like the most horrific <laughs> nun evil nun you've ever seen um and then lorraine walks out of the room forever yeah. um but yeah so she she's going down the hall following this nun for some reason um and sees the sees the portrait Ooh. and the light goes out, I think, at some time. <laughs> He's so good. James Wan yeah. is so good at playing with shadows. Yeah. Because you like can kind of see an outline of the nun, but you don't Against know. Against the wall, yeah, yeah. That actually happens in The Nun 2 as well. Oh, that's, yeah. Well, I haven't seen The Nun 2, but I was just thinking of how the shadow slowly walks across the wall and mm-hmm. then into the painting, and you're like, when's it going to come at you? It's so good. It's that's, so good. But guess what? The I, I, I rolled my eyes and I said, Get, you could have cut this. Why did you need Patrick Wilson singing an Elvis song in its entirety practically and having everybody sing along? That is completely out of place. Yes. Um, I did <laughs> on my rewatch turn it off at that moment. Yes. It's like it's, it's exactly what I would do when I would watch Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory and the mom starts singing Cheer Up Charlie. Oh yeah, you just fast. Yep. Everyone fast forwards yeah. Cheer Up Charlie. Yes. Everyone does. And that's what I would do if I watch Conjuring 2 again. I, yeah. I don't need to see Patrick Wilson play Elvis with and, his sideburns. And he like stares at Lorraine and just, you know, you can tell that he's like playing the song for her. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, so this one is all about <laughs> love and like Christian love and sentimentality and stuff, which is not what the con or not what the Warrens were really. Like that was mm. their persona in real life, but it's kind of come out that um there have been accusations against Ed Warren. Um <sighs> apparently he had a teenage mistress who was yeah, living with them. I remember hearing this. Um so uh, it's really is like not even separate art from the artist but just like the real history. Like I would be fine if they, you know, didn't make another Conjuring movie because of, like, some political statement. <laughs> like, that, that'd be okay by me. We don't need to follow the Warrens anymore. We don't need to follow the Warrens. So, yeah, I I, I, I invite you to do your own research on that because I, I don't have it in front of me. I don't want to missay anything. But they were not as yeah. um, Christian and loving and perfect. And people rarely are. Yeah. Yeah. And so to to kind of go uh, to make a franchise around them, I think was something that people had problems with because they were not mm-hmm. they were not very good role models. I had a problem with Patrick Wilson's accent in the first one where it was like he's trying to be from Chicago and all. And like there's one point where he just delivers see, all he does is say the word suicide. Well, this is where the witch committed suicide in a certain way that makes me really like cringe. I was like, "Oh my god, what Patrick Wilson, you don't have to try so hard to 
you know, speak in that tone. <laughs> he dropped I think he dropped the accent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they were like, this isn't working, dude. But that was that would have been my let's do an ADR of that line again, yeah. please, because it's so obvious to me. I'll include a clip of it in the podcast because sometimes people like those fun things to be included. They don't want to just hear us talk. They have to hear clips from the movie. They gotta. No, you they should <laughs> put in um put in him painting the well, I guess that's more visual. Um, put in him singing. Oh. Nah, we don't need that. For I can tell falling in love with you. Nah, we don't need that. We don't need that. No. I'll put in me singing it. For I can't help falling in love with you. <laughs> Leading a chorus of children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what people want. One other thing before we move on about The Conjuring 2. I loved the flooded basement Ooh. scene. That was so scary because you just know the nun is down there. Mm-hmm. The nun is swimming around down yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like water up to Patrick Wilson's waist, probably, and he's trying to fix something. I can't remember. He like does a bunch of odd jobs around their house, which again is like very, <laughs> <laughs> very strange. Um, well, he's being he's being thoughtful. polite. Yeah, yeah he's that's like, nice. You need a man because it's a, it's a single it's a single mom and a bunch of girls, and so he's always like, "Well, I'll be your guy to fix the the sink or whatever, the sub pump." And so, so yeah, the nun is like swimming around down mm. there. I think that was very scary. Yeah. I, I guess I just compare too much to like, there's that's it's not as scary as skeletons in the pool and poltergeist, but hey, good try. Yeah. No, I know it's still it's still creepy. Yeah, yeah. But I do. It's like I. It's so funny. Once I heard like how much he loves poltergeist, I just started seeing poltergeist in all these movies. Like even just there's a big scary thing that happens in the poltergeist during the day when the mom is stacking up the kitchen or she's not stacking up the kitchen chairs but she's like just trying to show off what the poltergeist can do to her husband and that I was just like oh my god and i still i'm sure there's documentaries about how they pulled that trick off because it is one camera and there's no cut from what i can tell like how they were able to stack all the chairs on top of the table like suddenly yeah it's just oh that was one of my favorite movies growing up too and it makes sense and i can see why he loves it so much and i again like i'm not saying like he's unoriginal or he's just lazily borrowing from things that he loves i mean people say that about tarantino all the time but i just i think they repurpose them in a way that complements their stories and and i find it uh very entertaining and also just not derivative somehow. Like even if you're taking influence or inspiration from something, it doesn't mean you're ripping it off. Exactly. It's It's not like a cut copy kind of effect. Right. Yeah. And I think like things just are embedded in your subconscious that like as a storyteller, those things are probably going to just come out. And like if he has unresolved issues or something around dolls, you know, and who doesn't, I mean, who doesn't seriously? Yeah. I mean, geez, I still have nightmares about creepy clown dolls. Who doesn't, you know? But uh, it's just, yeah, it's just interesting to think of this turning into a whole other frame. I mean, I guess, 
How, are there more Conjuring movies? Or there's at least one more after the second one, right? There's yeah. So there's Conjuring Three: The Devil Made Me Do It, and you have to say the whole okay. thing when you yeah talk about it. And then there's going to be another one, Conjuring Four: The Last Rites. I'm hmm. not sure. I'm not sure. Is it? Hopefully, it's the last one. Okay. Because it's the last rites. But um, I don't think the third one got very good reviews, so I haven't seen it. And So I am a defender of the third one. Wow. I think you would like it, Jim. Okay. Or at least a little bit, because it's kind of for the librarians. It's kind of an entire, you know, in horror movies. I want a haunted library, <laughs> yeah. library movie. I want that. That would be fantastic. That would. We all could, we have is we the Ghostbusters opening. Yeah. That's all we have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and the librarian is not very <laughs> well described in mm-mm, that movie. Mm-mm. Um, that wouldn't fly in today's age. No. The things that she, he's asking her. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. Um, it follows... Spoiler alert. I know. Spoiler alert. Who did it? The devil. Oh, okay. Have you heard of him? No. <laughs> he, so, uh, it follows this guy. I forget his name. I don't know. I did not watch it for the podcast. Oh, you don't have to. It's it not was, James Wan, It's right? not James Wan. Um, and so someone, it's kind of like Amityville. Okay. So uh, someone, someone gets possessed and, and kills a bunch of people and they're saying, oh, was it just like mental illness or was it, you know, premeditated? And he says, neither. It was the devil. The devil made me do it. Wow. Um, and so it's basically just the Warrens going off and doing research to see if in fact, they have a case hmm. against this guy. And I, I it feels like they took out a huge chunk of the movie. Like, the actual trial was supposed to be, like, a third of the movie. Um, so it feels really disjointed in a way, but disjointed in the way that I like. Because I, oh, okay. I like the research montages and horror as a librarian. Are they doing it on microfilm? Yes. Show? Yes. Yay. And so, yeah, that's like most of the movie. Hmm. And I'm here for it. Well, people would probably find that boring because they want spooks and scares and all the horror fans. Yeah, they were like, it's not scary. It's not very good. It's more like a procedural. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I have a show for you. Okay. I wonder if you've seen this show because I'm obsessed with it and I'm eagerly anticipating another season. It is called Evil. Okay, no, I haven't because I'm waiting. I'm waiting to just carve out a huge chunk of time and just binge because time to use those V days. I got for it. This. I got it. Yeah, <laughs> so stay good. patient. No, I hear great things about it, and I hear that it does a lot of that type of stuff. It is very much like a James Wan movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, now that I think about it, but but there's like different case. It's X Files. A lot. It's a lot like X Files, only very scary and weird and surreal and it does things that i don't understand yeah (laughs) like i'm like what are you doing why is this creature here what they don't explain everything sometimes things just happen and i like randomness i like randomness sometimes where it's like i think that's probably why i like lost so much when it was on like they just throw shit and see if it sticks and if people like it or not probably most of the time it didn't work (laughs) but i just didn't care because you're like oh introduce this thing that's cool I feel like we kind of miss that now with TV because it used to be based upon ratings and now they just Mm -hmm. release the whole season on Netflix or whatever. Yeah. That's the norm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will try it out. I definitely will. I know we have the DVD at my library, so. Yeah. Yeah. 
huge crush on the lead lady. Yeah. It, so <laughs> that helps. That no, helps. but like, it's just, it's, it's actually a really creepy, weird, scary show. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, I, I mean, I've heard weird mixed things about the exorcist show, but I've always been curious to watch that. Like there's some horror shows. I, I can't get into American horror story. I know people can get into those. It's, I can't either. I'll talk about it because I feel like it is a little bit related to James. Yeah, Bond. no, I would say so. It's, it's, it's the same style. It's the, like the Blumhouse kind of thing, but also what's his name? Ryan, Ryan Murphy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's his thing. He does a lot. And they also switch actors a lot. Like mm. T- Tysa Farmiga. Niga. Emma was, Roberts is in a lot of them. Yep. Yep. So, so, and the, it's saturated in the same way. It's kind of like a weird. Saturated. That's a great way yeah, to it's describe very the saturated. style. Um, I did watch the first season of American Horror Story and I hated it. And then for yeah. some reason I re- rewatched it again and I realized, oh my God, I loved it. Interesting. And then I tried to watch Asylum. Not a fan of the depiction of mental That's illness. what I don't want to see. Um, <laughs> watched the Coven one. Pretty good. Pretty good. And then kind of just stopped. Okay. Yeah. So I... Oh, you hung on longer than I would. Yeah. I mean, the first season, I I don't know if I hated it. I just was indifferent. I kind of went, eh. That's, that, that was fine, I guess. I don't know why it's become what it's become, similar to the Saw movies. Okay, if people like that stuff, I'm not going to, you know, crap on them. Or, I'm not going to, yeah. like, you know, say you're crazy for liking it. If you like what you like, you like what you like. But It took me a second. It, it hmm. felt very disjointed to me and, like, mm-hmm. kind of lazily done. But then I rewatched it, and I was like, oh, not to be dramatic, but this is, like, a postmodern masterpiece. Whoa! <laughs> I really like the first season. Okay. I really, really do. Um, That's the one with Dylan McDermott? Yes. Okay. Yes. I can't it's remember. the murder I, house. The murder house. And I like haunted house. Like, again, yeah. for the drink you know drinking game how many times have i said it i love haunted house stuff oh yeah Um, i always tell people take a drink every time i use the word empathy because i feel like i use that word a lot on this podcast that's good though yeah as a librarian you have to have empathy i think that um you know because i was going to go into therapy and because i my i got a bachelor's in psychology and it's interesting to me how i will watch a movie as a therapist Mm-hmm. Almost like I'll psychoanalyze the characters, you know, and just think of what have they been through? How can I connect with them? And, you know, even unlikable protagonists, I try to find a way in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it does feel like there's a correlation between psychology and loving movies because you're basically immersing yourself into somebody's life mm-hmm. and trying to figure it out like a solving a mystery. And evil does that for every episode. <laughs> so I'm just like, because they come, you know, they do go through a church, but it's not religious. There's actually like an atheist and a priest together. Okay. Okay. Sounds like a, I'm telling a, a bad joke that they're both going to walk into a bar and something crazy is going to happen. But no, it's just a really well-written show. I'm sold. Yeah. I, I love that stuff too. I, I, I'm just interested in psychology. Mm-hmm. I do not have a degree in it, but I, I think to be a librarian, you do have to, <laughs> you do have to have an interest in like psychology and social work and those types of things. I would say so more than ever. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Cause you're not just helping people with books. That's no, that's, that's kind of a daily occurrence now. It's just some people are asking for, serious help with a lot of heavy things 
Exactly. It weighs on you a little bit. I mean, I, I often wonder, why am I coming home so exhausted? I work in a library, but I think it meant mental fatigue. Yes. You know. Yeah, you take on a lot of other people's problems. Yes. And in customer service, like, yeah, that that happens. I feel like bartending mm-hmm. is probably mm-hmm. comparable. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, people are just going to lay... Because you're listening. You yes. Know? And sometimes that's all that people want. Yes. Or they just want you to watch their scary movie, like James Wan. See how I always tie it together somehow? <laughs> I try to. But just it's just funny how... There's so many tropes in all of his movies that I've seen a dozen times. The creepy imaginary friend, the creepy doll, the... I think I have a list, actually. Okay. Um, so to... The Exorcisms. Ing- the ingredients to make up a James Wan movie. Oh, very good. Yes. In case there are aspiring cooks or chefs out there. Exactly. Well, yeah. first you have to have a great title sequence with illustrations. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Creepy little textbooks, yeah. whatnot. Some sort of scary song, like tiptoe through the And I, I thought of like just an homage to Seven, because a lot of those credit sequences are very Seven. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And very American Horror Story. Oh, sure. Yeah. Very like grainy VHS mm-hmm. footage. Dolls, quick of cuts, course. Yeah. yeah. Quick cuts. Lots of quick cuts. Lots of jump scares. Weird twitchy camera. Mm-hmm. You know, I. it's just... It, it hide and seek games hide and seek. or variations of it. Yeah, a very specific type of ghost I have written down. Mm-hmm. White face with dark sunken eyes, kind Ooh. of like ghouls. And smashing the keys on the piano, of course. Oh, yeah. But that's, If I had a real piano, I would be smashing the keys all the time. Yeah, my Ooh. cat would jump up and do that. Or maybe your cat would be learning how to play. Maybe. Because that cat <laughs> piano... Mm, <gasps> keyboard is, cat yeah keyboard yeah. cat yeah may he rest in peace also birds crashing into the house a lot happens in these movies that's uh, true yeah just like oh birds poor birds poor birds yeah it's an, <laughs> it's an omen but for what cost oh abandoned places are very frequent yes like like oh, factories okay. and warehouses. We gotta, and, I yeah. we gotta keep going because I want to talk about malignant so bad. Well, well, that's the thing is, uh, color me surprised when I first saw malignant in the theater and was like, all right, James Wan again. Okay, I guess. When I was young, something happened to me. Stop saying that, Daddy. Who are you talking to, Gabriel? Is he your imaginary friend? Whatever you went through before you joined our family, it hurt you in a way that I can't even imagine. You created him. Daddy, what's going on? So that you could survive. Director's Club. I wanted to do something that was a bit different, but yet hark back to my roots. You gotta take chances. If you don't, you end up making the same old thing again and again and again. I think audiences are starved for something that's new and different. And I loved it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh my god. I mean, there's people who don't like it and roll who? their eyes. Who? There, are people, there are people out there who don't think Malignant's amazing. I, I don't know. It's it, again, it did, it did feel like the turning point where I kind of went. Okay, yeah, you can throw it plausibility out the window, and you can probably uh, 
find a numerous flaws, but I don't care. I'm having a great time. And once we get to that reveal, I was just beside myself. <laughs> Me too. But, I definitely predicted it, but not at the start. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> normally, because I am sick of people using Where Is My Mind as a cue oh, in a yeah, lot of me movies. Too. It's just enough already. I'm sure it's been in like car commercials at this point. So, you know, Fight Club is, did it the best and people shouldn't keep using it. But then for some reason, I was just like, well, I really like what they did with it here. <laughs> Even though it's silly, I just, I went, oh, I kind of like what you did with it, incorporating it into the score and having it going, Whoa! like turning into like a ghost version of Kim Deal or Kelly Deal. I get them confused. Um, but yeah. 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 And it's, and it makes sense because it's Seattle, right? And mm-hmm. so they're from Seattle and. Oh, good call. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. Right. It's very, it's very Seattle. Mm-hmm. It's like a very strong. It's always raining, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's always raining. It's always foggy. Uh, one of the characters works in like the creepy little tunnels underneath the city. So you got to yeah. utilize that for, you know, some reason. Um, no, I loved this movie too. I dragged my friends to go see it. Um, it, it was a a lot bloodier than I thought it was going to be. Um, I was very nervous at the start again, Mm -hmm. just being like very conscious of mental health depictions and like the domestic abuse plot line at the start of the movie is actually really scary, really intense, but we quickly get past that um yeah the opening i was like "Mm, i don't know how i feel about where this is gonna go and i also kind of went isn't this a lot like a i mean once we get to the reveal it sort of solidified my initial feelings of like i wonder if he's gonna do like a riff on a frank henenlotter movie in particular basket case (laughs) like i was first thinking what are they doing here at the beginning okay but then, yeah, it sort of sets up a mystery um, that I guess I predicted, but not in that way. Like the reveal of Gabriel towards the end was yeah. just like, oh, my God, you're really going to do this? <laughs> it was just a shock. I mean, in a great way for me. Yeah. But. Yeah. I, I, I forgot that they have that that scene at the hospital first mm-hmm. and foremost yeah. of the doctors, of course, grainy VHS. And the doctor's running down the hall, and you don't know you don't know who Gabriel is, right? But everyone's talking about him. We gotta cut out the cancer. We gotta cut out the cancer. <laughs> I love the line. Actually, my favorite line is, "It's drinking electricity," <laughs> which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, those cheesy things normally might bug me, but not here. No. And that's why I like James Wan movies because I feel like by this time, by 2021, he kind of he kind of knew what was up. Like I feel like he's gotten a little bit more self-aware, mm-hmm. not too self-aware, but a little bit more. And that that with Megan as well. Oh yeah, um, him producing that. I think it's the yeah. same writer. It's the same writer, yeah. Akila Cooper. Right. Yeah, she's gonna be big. Oh yeah. I can tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's real. She's really, really good. But again, like malignant following a detective pretty much. Yeah. Like you think it's going to be about Madison and it kind of is. Um, but it mostly is about her and the detective teaming up and trying to find Gabriel. Mm-hmm. And Gabriel yeah. was right. There's some good right chase sequences along. in this too. <gasps> yes. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll touch upon later the fact that I think he's a good action director. <laughs> you know, I, I was, again, surprised, but I mean, thinking of him, like, staging certain sequences in this, obviously the one in the police station is a standout. But, I mean, there are people who complain of that being too video game-like, and I can see that argument as being kind of obnoxious of like it's a video game that you can't even play really in that moment but i don't care i think just he's using a wide angle lens in a way to capture everything going on in the background and not necessarily because a lot of action sequences are quick cuts and you know the camera moving all over the place and he's a little bit more controlled yeah and i think he he just knows how to really bring it home in a way that didn't work with dead silence. Like dead silence's ending should have been another 20 minutes. I don't know why I'm saying it should be longer, but still (laughs) like I wanted more after that. And here in malignant, you get the more after the reveal. That's just like, everything that happens from the jail cell on, I'm just like, Oh my God, I love it so much. (laughs) Even if people like just go, this is dumb. And I could see people having that reaction. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I li- I like it too. I mean, I like the whole thing. Yeah, I really no, I really love the beginning. I uh, I do love when Detective Kakoa Shaw, who best name very ever, good. by yeah. the way. Um, I didn't remember that name. That's a very good name. <laughs> it is a very good name. Yeah. He uh he goes jumping down fire escapes and stuff, mm-hmm. trying to trying to catch Gabriel. I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, I love the special effects of Madison being kind of like glued to one place mm-hmm. and the the background, again, dissolving, background work, like, dissolving. Yeah, I really like that too. And he does that a little bit in Conjuring too, but he really does it a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a major plot point. It made me think of like, because she's sort of frozen, sleep paralysis. Like, because yes. maybe she's dreaming these things and... You find out that's not the case, but still, it's just like when it's happening, it makes me go, ooh, ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also kind of loved the sister. Mm -hmm. Um, She looked a lot like Florence Pugh. Sure. She was kind of like (laughs) an extremely energetic Florence Pugh. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that she went to the creepy asylum, again, abandoned places, um, and parked really close to the edge of the cliff. Oh, boy. (laughs) And then went digging through the basement. I guess all the medical records are just sitting there for anyone to dig through. Oh, yeah. You gotta love the reveals of, like, the videotape and everything. I'm just like, oh, you're using tropes, but I don't care. I think they're great. Again, research montage. Mm -hmm. I'm here for it. Yeah. When they finally find out what's going on, you're just like, oh, boy. And he's cutting between different places, you know, and just... He does that very well with like the, yeah, the sister and the mother, right, mm-hmm. together. And then her back with the police, I think is just, that's really well edited, that whole moment of that whole reveal. And just, you know, he, he, he manages to shock and surprise, but without it being manipulative, because it's been hinted at throughout the whole movie, especially if you watch it a second time. It's almost like the sixth sense again, where you're going back to see if you can actually pick up that Bruce Willis is dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can see little hints throughout the whole movie that, yeah, who, who Gabriel might be. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely noticed like his weird movements of walking, walking backwards or, mm-hmm. you know, the, his elbows. It's bending. very ring and grudgy. Like his yes. look. Yeah. The long black hair. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I, I like Annabelle Wallace. In yeah. This. I think Me she's, too. she's in another one of his movies, I think, 
but I didn't like her that much. Maybe she's in the movie Annabelle, actually. Mm. Um, and I didn't like, I, I think he produced it. Okay. It's not producer's club. It's director's club. But, Correct. Um, but again, he's working with the same people. Something is, people want to work with this guy. <laughs> and I think he wrote. Patrick Wilson certainly wants to work oh, with him. Oh, <laughs> Patrick Wilson is like BFFs with yeah. James Wan. I think James Wan and Akila Cooper and James Wan's wife. Ingrid? Yes, Ingrid's. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. She, they wrote Malignant together. Ah! And I think Ingrid Bisu is like the weirdly, overly eager uh, police officer who wants Detective Kokoa Shaw's attention. Right, And is always like really too excited to be at a crime scene. <laughs> I think that's I think her. you're right. Yeah. 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 Which is, yeah, she's great. <laughs> For sure. No, I did think like, and you would probably be a good person to ask this question too before. I mean, I wonder if this came up on the podcast when we were talking about favorite movies of the year. Did you feel like this was a giallo movie in any way? Because, that's how it was being described as. And I even think by James Wan, and I don't think it is at all. No. So I, I've i gone back and forth. So at first, I saw the trailer. I loved it. I did not think it gave too much away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did kind of... People were were saying, we, we really think it's a Giallo-inspired film yeah. because of the trailer. And I think maybe it's only because there's like neon red light at some point. Yeah. And then I watched it and I thought, this isn't a Giallo at all. I know. It's Not weird. At all. And, then and it I, even comes up in reviews and I'm like, huh? Are you sure? No. <laughs> and then when I was like, I got to rewatch Malignant for this podcast, I, I kind of have come back around I don't think it is a giallo, but I can see where the comparisons come from. Because, again, he likes to follow the practitioners. He likes mm. to follow the police. It's like a police procedural. Okay. Yeah, and certainly, like, his the use of that weapon. Yes. You know, I could see it being a giallo killer just yes. going around killing people with a specific weapon like that. But if it was a giallo, we wouldn't find out who Gabriel was mm-hmm. until the end. Yeah. And it would not be who he is. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like a reveal similar to De Palma's sisters, because like that sort of comes at a certain point. Oh, I think it's like even kind of like a dream sequence or hallucination sequence, but we sort of figure out what's going on with the two sisters in that movie. I love that movie. Yeah, me too. I love that movie. (laughs) I actually watched Basket Case and Sisters after watching Malignant just to see. That's perfect. Yeah. I mean, I want, I thought it out. I think you just got to, you got to program that at at, at a library or even at the music box or something. That's a great triple bill. (laughs) That would be great. I don't even know what order we would go in. You know, chronological. Yeah. 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 That would be fun. I like, I like just, yeah. Even if you're using something that's been done before and putting it in a whole other context and, you know, I just, I don't know. Do you get any like feminist angles going on with just like the, the being in control of your own body and possessing your own body in a certain way? Cause like I even heard James Wan mentioning that as like something that he didn't think about until afterwards, yeah. you know, just, 
the fact that he's got, you know, a female protagonist and she's going through something where she doesn't have full control of her body. And now it's kind of relevant more than ever with what's been going on currently. Yes. I, I did. When I first watched this movie, I thought it was actually a really astute commentary on Mm. domestic violence. Yeah. Um, And maybe it's just like that scene just stuck out to me. um, And it was done with, empathy drink yes um <laughs> i mean i at least i i believe it was um and, and it also came it after a invisible man too with that yes angle yes mm-hmm. i think when when intense themes like domestic violence are used in horror oftentimes they aren't used with purpose they're used for shock yeah or to exploit right exactly yeah. but this i felt like was was narratively significant and i think just having like you know a blood relation she keeps saying madison (laughs) keeps saying oh i just need to be like connected by blood to someone that that was very strange i'm not like a huge fan of female protagonists being uh propelled by like like you have to rescue your child or like like a as if females are only good to be (laughs) mothers um but this this felt like slightly different slightly Mm. she's still pregnant at the start sure so but having her bond with her sister and her birth mother and and her adoptive mother too oh yeah like that i there are a lot of strong female characters in this for sure. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about that rewatching it and kind of framing it in that light and kind of going, Oh, there's more than just like being kind of like a goofy B movie going on here. It's, there is some weight behind things and I actually care about her and what she goes through. And certainly the ending is cathartic in a good way. It's like, but I mean, I also kind of go, oh, you're setting it up for a sequel, aren't you? You just, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. I have a feeling. I'm, he's, I'm sure. he's locked away and he's gonna get out again. Yeah, he, yeah, he definitely will. I think he's jealous, of course, that he can't have what she has in terms of full agency and everything. But it's just, I, I mean, once he starts kicking ass, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I do get that like thrill that you would get in certain types of horror movies, like an evil dead or something where it's just like, Oh, he's kicking ass. He's you watch him go. And you know, uh, he, he can kill a bunch of cops. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah, no, it's fine in this context, of course. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, whether if it's science fiction or horror, it's, it's commenting on the, you know, the times we're living in, you know, sociologically and politically more often than not. Most, I mean, People were saying that, like, you know, torture porn was uh, a reaction to what we were seeing post 9-11 with Abu Ghraib and all that. And just the fact that we were being exposed to that in the news that, you know, like we were actually physically torturing people to get information or just to torture them. Uh, And so I'm waiting for more COVID and post-Trump horror. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's the times we're living in. So I don't know if that... Uh, I mean, there has been COVID horror. Or the host. Been, yeah, the host, yeah, right? Yeah. I yeah. loved that one. I mean, it's yeah. all on Zoom. It was really good. If anyone else tries to do it, though, I don't think it'd be as good. That director actually went on to make a horror movie I hated. Me too. Dash Cam. It was one of the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't stand that character. I mean, I know yeah. you're making her hate, you know, like someone you actively hate, but 
I can't spend time with somebody like that. No, no. I have my limits. I, <laughs> exactly. I have hopes for him, though. I, I, I well, would watch the, another movie by him. He did uh, The Boogeyman, I think, which came oh, out. Oh, yes, he did. He did. Did you I, see that? I did. I saw, actually. <laughs> I think it was. The, yeah, I think he did do that. Yeah. I have I have a story about that. Yeah, Rob Savage right. is his name. I pulled that out of my brain. Good job. Um, <laughs> I, I went to an advanced screening of The Boogeyman, and there was a trivia contest at the start. And oh, I, no. I won. Oh, good. Never mind. Oh, good. I think it was a Stephen King uh, trivia. And they said, here, you get a moonlight because a moonlight is featured in in the film. It's like... Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the little girls has it. And to scare away the boogeyman. Um, And so I got a moonlight and it looked very cool. And I was very proud of myself. And then I took it home and (laughs) I realized it said the boogeyman. On the light. It was a boogeyman-themed, boogeyman-branded moonlight. Hmm. So I still have that. I've turned the part that says the boogeyman against the wall so that you can't really see it. Oh, good. <laughs> that it says that. Are uh, you afraid the boogeyman's going to come out? or? I just was, like, not yeah. the best fan of that movie. But, I... yeah. Not like I want to, like, broadcast it to the world, but... Was the trivia guy the guy who was before the exorcist no. screening? Okay, no. good. Because he was terrible. I'm sorry. Who, was it Larry, the skeleton guy? Or Larry, the... Well, I don't remember what his name was now, but he was just like... Oh, gosh. I forgot his name. Oh, the exorcist believer. Boy, oh, boy. What a terrible movie. And also a terrible screening experience I had there because the sound wasn't working very well at all to where you couldn't understand dialogue. They would open their mouths and you couldn't hear what they were saying. You could only hear the background sound or the score. That's it. That's so terrible. They were opening their mouths and they're like, what are, should there be subtitles? What's going on? We were all confused. And then we sort of realized, Oh, they messed up the sound here somehow. And they never fixed it. That's so sad. I'm sorry, I know, but it was just, <laughs> ugh. I decided I, not to see don't that see it. one. Don't no, see it. You don't need no. to. I'm done. I'm done. If David Gordon Green's doing horror, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I'm sorry. I'll probably still see some of his stuff. I do see everything. I, I do love going to horror movies because yeah. of the uh, of the effects, really. And they've gone back to practical effects, I think, for the most part. Like some CGI, but the, the real scares <laughs> are practical effects. Yeah. The real interesting stuff. So I will, I'll see more horror from him. But maybe at one point I'll I'll say no. I just don't want to do more reboots and yeah. Just leave it alone. We leave don't need alone. more Halloween movies. We don't need. I mean, part of me I don't care. You can make Nightmare on Elm Street movies forever because you can do so many weird things with dreams. Like if you made that into a series and just every week. I mean, there was a Freddy's Nightmare series for a while, but if you just made it all about somebody having messed up dreams for every episode, I'd be like, yes, yeah. Because you can really get so cool. imaginative with dreams, because sky's the limit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you can get really weird. And if you see the new Nicolas Cage movie, Dream Scenario, you will enjoy it so much. Because I heard it described as Charlie Kaufman doing Nightmare on Elm Street. And when somebody said that to me, I'm like, that is, that's what I want out of life. Me really. too. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, I'm very much oh, looking so forward to good. that. <laughs> yes. Uh, and very surprising. So it's just, yeah, you'll see it soon. Okay. Anyway, James Wan, remember him? 
I do. Yeah. Yes. We were talking about him for the podcast, but everybody knows that digressions. I'm happen. sorry. No, don't be sorry. <laughs> That's the norm. I actually would be disappointed if there weren't more digressions in a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So what's your favorite food? Um, I, I just, I'm sorry. I'm boring. I like pizza. Yeah. I also like pizza too. Yeah. yeah. The death sentence is a movie that, um, we're talking about other James Wan movies. Unless, did we have anything more about Milligan? I, I just love it. And I urge yeah. you to watch it and hopefully we didn't spoil the end too much, but no people, I'm, people I'm, know. if people listen to this podcast, I think they've already seen I it. I hope so. I would I imagine so. so. Yeah. And if not, just, you know, you know what to watch for Halloween this year. Yeah. Because I'm putting this out before Halloween. I think I'm going to put it out in a couple days. Awesome. Oh, Death Sentence. Let me tell you a little bit. Please. Just a little bit. Because I mentioned earlier that I think James Wan is a very good action director. And both Death Sentence and Furious 7 are representative of that fact, in my opinion. Because I don't care at all about the Fast and Furious franchise whatsoever. I have no investment. Um, the ones I've seen, I go, oh, that was cool. And that's about it. And I don't really think deeply about it. But as I was watching Furious 7 and Death Sentence, I kind of went, man, I like James Wan doing action. I'm shocked. I, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that really because his strengths lie in horror. But he stages them very well, often being showy and doing like one takes again and just kind of like, well, in Death Sentence in particular, because it's kind of a low-key action movie, but it's just revenge drama. Like, Kevin Bacon's son gets killed by a gang, and you kind of roll your eyes at the portrayal of the gang. Oh, no. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's why it's really hard to find. Yeah, maybe. Um, but it's just a little cliche, uh, you know, and kind of uncomfortable. But at the same time, it's not like amazing but i get caught up i think revenge films are just an easy sell because we wish we could do that sometimes yeah you know it's again the whole vicarious experience um of just like oh i wish i can go out and kill somebody who killed somebody else you know and just be a badass and so yeah he just becomes charles bronson and just does the death wish thing kevin bacon because he like, of course, the guy who killed his son gets, you know, he doesn't get prosecuted. And so what does he do? He's like, I'm just going to go out and kill him myself. It's, I'm Kevin Bacon and I'm going to go do it. So that's what happens. Uh, it's just him like killing off gang members one by one. Uh, so it's not high art, but it's like clearly like a B level exploitation film. And there's an entire sequence that takes place in a parking garage that will make you think of uh, Malignant. Okay because he does really inventive things with the camera in a very Sam Raimi-like fashion at times where it's like swooping in and out and doing different things and going from floor to floor and just he's and it's all in one take so you're like it's kind of relentless and breathless and I just love that like I think Death Sentence is not a great movie but do watch it for that sequence of Kevin Bacon basically being pursued by this gang and he's trying to get away from them and figure out how to get away from them in this parking garage. So it becomes like, yeah, a whole, again, like kind of an escape room scenario of like, how's he going to get out of this? What's he going to do? Uh, and it's really intense. So I don't think it's a great movie. It's definitely, again, overlong. <laughs> he kind of has that. And there's a very hammy performance from John Goodman in it. You know, I didn't even know he was in that. Yeah. It's just kind of, He's there. He's not a prominent figure, but he's, he's like a, a gun salesman, really. And, you know, it's 
it's what you expect from this type of movie, but I, I actually really like Kevin Bacon. I think he's very good in this movie. Um, he sells it. So, uh, I like it, <laughs> but again, it's not great. It's not something I'd say you absolutely have to see it, but see it if you love good action set pieces. And I tend to do that when they're done well. Yeah. I like, I like good action set pieces and I actually do like death wish, which is oh, good. strange to say. The um, original, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then also the sequels for the campiness. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I really do like it. I, I think I saw death wish three in a film class mm. and was just shocked just at the campiness. And I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. I think that was the first one I saw, but then ended up watching all. I of do them. like a good gung ho action movie where it's just like, I'm just going to go kill these people because yeah. they did me wrong or they killed my wife or whatever. You know, I don't know. It's a, again, it's exactly what you expect, but. And you saw the fast and furious seven. Have you seen all of them? No. Okay. I can't. Um, What really makes this work is the fact that you just mashed up every um, action villain or hero into one movie. You have The Rock. You have Vin Diesel. You have Jason Statham. Uh, I'm just like... It's it is like the Expendables in that way, where it's just kind of like, oh my god, all these guys are in the same movie. Let's watch them go, and it's pretty wild and crazy. But it's funny because the reason why I watched it with my mom is that she, you know, had a crush on Paul Walker and is really sad about him being gone. Yeah, and he really ends this in a really sweet and touching way. It's like a tribute to him um, that surprisingly was very moving (laughs) and just like it's not a movie that again is worth seeking out if you're not into like a lot of action i was just i was surprised there isn't as much car chases as there are great action set pieces i might have to watch it i'm really crazy over the top things that you go well nobody would survive that clearly (laughs) you know but it's just fun it's it had an energy to it and I could sense it that James Wan's trademark style was behind it all. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, like the stuff in Malignant and the stuff in Death Sentence and the stuff in Furious 7 all correlate in some way. Like, I can tell this is James Wan. That's and good. it made me kind of happy watching it because I was like, I was kind of dreading it. And I'm like, do I really need to watch this because it's not horror? But um, a lot of people said it's one of the best of the series. And I, I haven't watched them all, but I think that's, it probably is. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, it's too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, movies really need to be shorter. Yeah. Um yeah, that makes sense that he would do a fast movie though because he's all about like familial love mm-hmm. and sentimentality and It's all stuff about like family. That. It's all about family. Yeah. It's all about family. Just like Vin Diesel says, it's all about family. <laughs> That's all he says in the movies. We're we're like family. We're like family. Yeah. We're fam we're family. Yeah. Um can we talk about Dead Silence for just a second? Only one second. So you got to have just one word, basically, to describe it. That's the challenge right now. Puppets. Okay. That's it. That's all you need to say, really. Um, no, puppets are scary. Yeah. 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 I don't, I, I don't love this movie, but... I kind of do. I okay. think I saw the end of it at a bar once, and I was like, you were what drunk. is this? <laughs> Maybe. Um, I don't know. I, I I was like, what movie is this? And then someone said, oh, it's Dead Silence. And I like put it on the mental list, mm. but then completely forgot about the ending when I rewatched it. <laughs> and then I think 
here's the thing with James Wan movies. I do say like, oh, I have to be a little intoxicated to enjoy this. Or high for some people. I mean, your drug of choice, basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, and then I have to watch it again because I forget what happened. (laughs) Um, So I did watch this movie twice this year. Um, Cool. Yeah. It is really boring in the middle. Yes. I felt that way too. I don't like the lead guy. I don't like the lead guy. I, I do like the costumes and, again, Denise Cronenberg, she sure. rarely worked without her brother. Mm-hmm. She rarely worked on, you know, other other films. So I think that that is just a statement in and of itself that she wanted to do this movie or whatever. Um, the beginning is scary. I love the urban legend aspect. Sure, sure. The Mary Shaw. yeah. Beware, Mary Shaw, beware yeah. the stare of Mary Shaw. No, that's catchy. And I thought, oh, this is something that everyone already knows. No, it is original. Again, mm. original mm. IP. And Strange, this, this didn't become a franchise. Because the way it ends, I'm like, hmm, what can you, else can you do with this idea? <laughs> I get it kind of mixed up with some of the other police procedural type of movies around this time. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's Donnie Wahlberg is the police officer. <laughs> yeah. Who's like trying to arrest the main guy for the death of his girlfriend or wife or whoever. Um, but yeah, the ending is Oh my gosh, so scary. Lots of puppets coming out of the woodwork. And the ghost is real. And then he goes to the house. And there's just this amazing set piece of like basically a corpse as a puppet. That's the best part. It's and the I best want the part. whole movie to be that. Yeah, it's, it's truly. <laughs> I want the it to be completely part. batshit. But it does, has a lull. And I guess I get more restless, surprisingly, in this one than. His other work, like I'm like, I can see why it didn't hit. Yeah, the way his other movies did, it almost feels like he found his footing complete. Like he found exactly what his strengths were once he got to Insidious, and then from there it's just like bam, like I can do just about anything. Yeah, yeah. But it does. It feels like a trial run for something. Like it's it's a good premise. Was was it another collaboration with Lee? Oh, I don't know. I wonder if it was. I'm it feels sure. like it could have been, but I just I didn't cl- connect with it as strongly as his other movies. Like the the flaws stood out to me a little bit more than yeah what followed this, and yet that ending makes me go, oh, I want to love this movie more <laughs> than I do. <laughs> I know it felt it felt kind of like a Twilight Zone episode. Sure. Yeah. Um, he's it- definitely. I would say he's influenced by Twilight Zone. And I love that. Some people don't like it. Some people say it's... Him and Jordan Peele, big time yes. Twilight Zone fans. Yes. I I can also see, like, Roger Corman in there mm. as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that, too. I I think he worked... Especially in the early stuff, he worked on such a small budget. Yeah. And then just makes his money back, like, tenfold, more than <laughs> tenfold, way more, a billion fold. Yeah, that's like the whole... I mean, Roger Corman could have produced Saw, you know, like that would have been right in line with their sort of approach to filmmaking. I think they filmed Saw, I think James and Lee, my personal friends, uh, (laughs) filmed Saw in like two weeks or something. It was Mm. like very tight turnaround and they rented an apartment for it. That's probably why they just overlooked some of the bad acting. (laughs) Probably, probably. (laughs) But I mean, again, like how many movies did you, horror movies did you rent as a kid 
and there was bad acting. I mean, oh, you'll yeah. still watch them to this Most day. And yeah. a lot of, and a lot of people got their start in horror movies, like Jennifer Aniston, Brad George Pitt. <laughs> yeah, like all uh, so That's many right. people. That's right. Brad Pitt was in Return. What is it? Horror High or Cutting Class? Cutting or? Class. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey as well. Oh, right. Texas Chainsaw. Yep. Three? Three. Four? No, four. Four? It's, yeah, it's the next generation. One of them. But yeah, a lot a lot of good actors getting their start in horror movies. Johnny Depp. Of I mean, course. so many. So many. Um, Skeet Ulrich. Skeet Ulrich. <laughs> I love Who was him. like, I don't know, he's kind of like a Johnny Depp clone in a way. He is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Made sense to cast him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Do you want to talk about recent horror movies? Uh, yes, please. What have you liked? Oh, man. So I feel like I could hype up some of the bigger ones, but they don't, you know, they don't need it. So I'll just mention it really fast. Like, Talk to Me was probably my favorite of sure. the year. Yep. Really interesting. Um, it reminded me of Hereditary, but with a little bit more humor. Exactly. Um, I also loved Megan, written by Akila Cooper, produced by James Wan. A good PG-13 horror comedy. I kind of feel like people don't get horror comedies yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, Megan seems to I think Malignant is a horror comedy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Me too. I, I think Dead Silence is a horror comedy. Sure. Or at least it has comedic effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also really liked Infinity Pool. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg. Mm. It's kind of satirical, though. Like, I have friends who said... I mean, I love Mia Goth. I mean, oh, yeah. marry me Mia Goth. Yeah. <laughs> but, marry me Mia Goth. <laughs> um, but I don't know why. Brandon Cronenberg just hasn't hit me the way he has with other people. Really? Okay. I, I thought I would love Possessor, and I thought I would love Infinity Pool, and I was like, hmm, maybe I need to watch him again. That usually happens. Like, if I don't click with something, I watch it a second time. Like, oh, okay. Maybe now that I know what I'm in for, I can hone in on exactly what what it's trying to say. But I don't know. It almost felt like a social satire that, oh, let's, you know, comment on how empty and vacuous rich people are and how they just do th- like that's kind of been done a lot lately it really triangle has. of sadness there's triangle a triangle of, of sadness the menu yeah all of that mm-hmm. no unsurprisingly i like his movies because of the the props the set pieces i like the masks he uses masks a lot those masks are creepy and he does that in possessor too like yeah. the creepy mask and i don't know i i i like his stuff it's extremely violent though which I'm not. I'm holding him a to such fan. a high pedestal because of his dad, probably. Like yeah, I just love all too. of his dad's movies so much. Me too. I, I'm not giving up on him. I I still think he's interesting. I just like a lot of the horror community has openly loved and embraced him, and I kind of went, hmm, maybe eventually I'll figure it out. I don't know why it's not working for me. I would say give it a rewatch. I will. Yeah. Yeah. Especially Possessor. Like that's a movie I thought for sure was like going to be crazy about i know i gotta rewatch that again i don't i don't think i got a hundred percent of it on the first watch um i will say that i saw ennis man the mark jenkin movie did Ooh, you that watch was that pretty good. i don't know what to make of it all but i liked it i liked it too it's like Creepy. really slow burn horror 
folk horror. Yeah, folk horror for sure. I for sure thought she was going to fall down a well. Mm-hmm. Like every time she went up to Things that Things aren't hill. explained, and I like that. Things aren't explained. No, it reminded me of like Maya Darren. who I also recently, I don't know how I went through film school and did not watch her stuff. Uh, But I also recently discovered her like during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, So I liked that. I liked the folk horror. I liked the repetitive shots and made me feel like I was going crazy. Yeah. I like movies that make me feel like I'm going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also saw the blackening, which I feel like people (laughs) did not see enough. Did you see it? Yeah. I liked it. I really did. I liked did. it too. People are sleeping on these the, horror the comedies. The stuff is just so fun. <laughs> I know. I know. I think I I like I like uh, Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. I yeah, feel like I can see that being yeah connected. Yeah, that way. yeah, yeah. And I thought the board game was actually right. legitimately terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny. Yeah, it, it was, was very so funny. funny. Yeah. So definitely liked that, and then. I recently attended a screening for the Chicago International Film Festival of Late Night with the Devil. I wanted to go, but I was tired. I know. It was was very late. Um, They ended up doing a... Well, okay, so it's directed by the Cairns Brothers. Hmm. I don't know them. Okay, I don't either. I think this might be their first feature. Okay. Um, They're Australian. Oh. I believe. Or New Zealand. One of of the two. Um... I probably should research that. I'm sorry, Karen's brothers. That's okay. Um, and I forgive you. Stars David. The Smolchin. The Smolchin. Yeah. Is that he's how you say yeah, his name? Yeah, and he's in a lot of stuff he's over the years. He's in so much stuff. He's like the best part of Suicide Squad too. Mm. He was in the Boogeyman. That's right. As the creepy psych- psychiatric patient who brings the Boogeyman yeah, to yeah, everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Of course. I know he's in a lot of things that I just haven't retained them for some reason. He's like, great. I think he is local. Or yes, he at yes, least he is from Chicago. Yeah, he's from Chicago. He He was there, right? He was there. Mm. Um he he was very moved by all of our mm. applause and love. And it was a well deserved uh well deserved applause. That movie was so good. It was about a 70s talk show host who has like semi-occult ties or like Hmm. ties to a secret society. And Hmm. it's a kind of found footage uh, episode of the TV show that never aired or I guess it aired once, right? Hmm. Cause it's a talk show. It's live. So it aired once on Halloween. It's a Halloween special. And then it like disappeared because of what happened in the show. So like they're, they're bringing it back. And I love stuff like that. Like I mentioned ghost watch earlier, the, uh, W N U F Halloween oh. special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it all felt in that similar vein. Those VHS movies are very hit and miss. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm like, yeah, that was great. And then some like, ugh. <laughs> like I say, I mean, I think that's true of anthology movies. Yeah. There's, there, I don't know if there's ever been, well, Dead of Night. There's a couple of them that are actually like, oh, those are pretty consistently good. Dead of Night is like one of my favorite movies of yeah. all time. I, I love that one. Um, Black Sabbath. And, and Black good. Sabbath. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that one, that's a movie that I saw really young. 
because my dad saw it on TV when mm. he was a kid. Oh, wow. And then the internet happened, and he was like, I'm going to look up all these movies that I saw when I was a kid, and I can't remember their names, but I can remember, like, The Dripping Water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or The Telephone. Sure. You know, so we, we found Black Sabbath, and we watched it. But, um, yeah, anthology movies, hit or miss, um, found footage. For me, hit or miss. Some people love it, and... I I did think that this was a hit. I okay. did think Late Night with the Devil was a hit. Um, he's going to be big, this guy. I have a feeling. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's like one of those, I bet he's been on the precipice. Like you just, you're waiting for him to f- almost like go into uh, something like, yeah, just have a breakthrough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's going to get a starring role in something and like everyone's going to know. Blow, blow people's minds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I lo- so those those were the three that I recommend. I mean, Ennis Men was great if you like a folk horror. The Blackening if you like a horror comedy, and Late Night with the Devil. How about Skinamarink? <laughs> oh boy, is that so divisive? People love it. People hate it. I know. I found it so creepy. It's so creepy. <laughs> it's, I would say, I had a friend in town this weekend and she was asking me if she should watch it. And I said, it's very much no plot, just vibes. Yep. But the vibes are good. <laughs> if you grew up like in the 80s and 90s, it's it really captures that terror of like being awake Alone. when no one else is. Yes. And like... Again, grainy VHS footage and the play school toys. And I don't, I, I thought it was boring, but I would watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> I love that response. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then you liked it too. Mm, I kind of did. Yeah. It was just weird though, because it does seem like a movie that you'd put on a back on the background and, you know, not, you don't have to pay super close attention to it because it isn't plot driven, but it reminded me of when I used to play shows in a band and there would be like industrial bands with big like video screen behind them as they're playing. Yes. Yeah. You know? Like the warehouse shows. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. They, most of the time they're putting Tetsu the Iron Man on or something, but like this just felt like something that would be good for as like a visual art installation. I tried to replicate that vibe at my birthday party last year. I put Ooh. on Nope. Wow. Yeah, which is just like, in the background or just for in the, the part- background. Okay. Yeah, and I muted it and then I played huh. records over it. Oh, interesting. But obviously, like you know, I don't live in a venue, so I don't know if it worked. But I think that could work. Yeah, I mean, it's told very well as a visual story. Like, yeah, I mean, just there's some movies you can just watch mm-hmm. and not have to hear everything. They're just cool to look at. <laughs> and I feel like there are no visual spoilers in that, mm-hmm. but every frame could be taken and blown up and put on a wall. Yeah. Like, it's beautiful. You love Nope. I love Nope. Yeah, most people do. Yeah, mm. I really did. I liked I it more the second time, though. I think once it, it was like, it blew up into a big jellyfish creature in the sky or something, I didn't like it. Yeah. I don't know. I kind I mean... It has one of the best moments in horror in the past, I don't know, 10 years with when you see all the people being digested in the creature. Like that is... Nightmare fuel. 100%. Yeah. I guess I wanted more of that. (laughs) (laughs) And less of a Spielberg homage, you know? 
I think the more the, blood pouring from the oh, <laughs> from God, the sky. So scary. With the when it's raining, yeah, and you see the rain turn into red mm-hmm. down the window panes. I thought that. I mean, I love a western. I sure. I love a western. I love, it's a nice mishmash of different genres. Yes, the game Horror, show or no, western. not the game show. It's um. It's a sitcom. Sitcom, sitcom with yeah. the monkey. With the monkey, yes. I didn't. I was like, "What does this have to do with the rest of the movie?" <laughs> Watch it again. Yeah, I Watch know. it again. Most it's, people say that. Yeah. I I also thought that the first mm-hmm. watch, and then it I don't know. It just kind of clicked. Yeah. yeah, it it truly did. I like. I, and Jordan Peele, of course, is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked his new anthology book called Out There Screaming. He's got a book? He has a book. Wow. He has a book as of this month, a time of recording. Um, it's an anthology book of black horror writers. Ooh, and he does great. the he does the prologue. Hmm. Um, and he curated it all. Speaking of books. Speaking of books. Chloe, do you have some book recommendations for us? I sure do. Oh, cool. I sure do. Because I want to, you know, get Christmas gifts ready. Okay. Well, these are specific to people who like James Wan's movies. Excellent. So get them for all the James Wan fans in your life. Um, I think the... for Okay. So he, he's a very versatile director, right? Even though you can kind of formulaically lay out Yeah. I can stuff. usually he tell can, when I'm watching a James Wan movie. Yeah. But yeah. he still manages to distinguish himself sometimes they're slashers sometimes they're about police detectives ghosts ghosts haunted house so i would say for the for the haunted house fans how to sell a haunted house by grady hendrix yes amazing horror books i read amazing so fun yeah and he does it very episodically Mm -hmm. he writes he writes like he's writing a movie or tv show so that there are creepy puppets in there um, and there are scary moments, there are scary scenes, but then he also, it is all about family, all about, you know, it's all about family. It's all about family. Um, so, and, and there's comedy. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. 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 That's Grady Hendrix for you. That's Grady Hendrix. Um, so hard recommend on that. Um, Children of Chicago by Cynthia Palayo. Oh, I thought you were directly referencing the children of chicago children of chicago i have a recommendation for you (laughs) children of chicago should probably not be listening (laughs) (laughs) probably right Uh, these no children of chicago cynthia palayo she's a local author um and she she writes like horror inspired uh crime inspired books Hmm. um historical fiction mostly though she yeah she does a lot of different stuff this one is about a detective though in humble park oh wow so uh, it's uh it's it's pretty good Hmm. it's very chicago based um i guess the detective lost her sister when she was young uh in the humble park lagoon and now she is seeing children get lost and turn up dead in Hmm. humble park again and she has to figure it out there's a scene in the police station that reminds me so much of malignant oh really okay so much so i think i think that that, that if you great. like the police if you like the saw kind of or dead silence or malignant kind of police <sighs> interference involvement etc um you will like that i'm reading a book right now i'm not sure i 
I don't want to like hard recommend because I haven't finished it, um, but it's called Experimental Film by Gemma Files. Hmm. It's about a Toronto film professor who's like tracking down this lost footage of this uh, woman who made films in Canada, but mysteriously disappeared. Oh, interesting. And she's going, she thinks that she saw a film at an experimental film festival that used some of that so-called missing footage. So she's kind of going on a hunt to try and find out where, where that, where this guy who made the film got that footage. I guess it's being made into a movie. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. I'm picturing it's, it in my head as you're describing. I'm like, ooh. I, I'm about halfway. Oh it's my God. good so far. Mm. <laughs> but it did. It I hope did it sticks really. the landing. I hope so too. It, it reminds me of James Wan for sure. So wow. those, those are my three. <laughs> Duh, that's so cool. I wish I could read more. Maybe I will. It's giving those premises for sure. I like the sound of those books. And you can also follow you on Instagram for more book recommendations. Oh, yes. I, I'm at Chloe's Not Scared on Instagram. Um, probably on other things, too. But I'm mostly on Instagram. Yeah. You don't need to do the twi- Well, I don't know what it's called anymore, and I don't care about it. But, uh, I mean, Blue Sky has become the new Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <sighs> I'm still torn about, I mean, threads, right? Threads, that's the, the yeah, other that's thing funny. going on. I don't know. Yeah. I just wish it would all go away, to be honest. I don't even like Facebook anymore. I mean, I like Instagram. I'm a visual person. I like pictures yeah. and stories and fun things like that. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can see plenty of cat pictures or cat memes for sure. I think uh, <laughs> our, our, our our mutual friend and coworker, Rachel, is, is, likes my cat stuff very much. She's yeah. very sweet. Yeah, I love Rachel. Shout out to Rachel. Yay, Rachel, she doesn't listen to podcasts, she told me, though. And I was like, damn it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Top three James Wan movies, very predictable list for me. Like, there's nothing that's going to be, like, revelatory. It's really just number three is Insidious, number two is The Conjuring, and number one is Malignant. Like, that's it. That's all I got, folks. You're not going to find any... Big, you know, surprise. I feel like mine is pretty predictable, given, like, what we talked about. Number three for me is The Conjuring. Number two is The Conjuring 2. I really like that movie. And number one, of course, is Malignant. Yeah, I'll have to watch The Conjuring 2 again. Sorry. It's too long. (laughs) Two and a half hours long. Watch watch Ghost Watch first. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely will. Yeah. I'm not going to watch Conjuring 2 till next year. (laughs) Yeah. I'm done with James Wan. I've just been binging on the guy (laughs) for too long now. I'm done. I'm ready to move on. Speaking of, our next episode is going to feature two awesome friends and podcasters. They have chosen a comedy director. Well, mostly comedy, I would say. It is uh, um, Miss Picky and... What, what else did he... Uh, I'm trying to think of other voices Frank Oz did. I'm trying to... That's all I can think of was Miss Piggy, and I know he's done more than that. Anyway, we are covering Frank Oz as a director, and oh boy, I'm so... It's going to be so much fun. Like, that's, that's just... That just sounds like a fun time, right? I'm excited. Little Shop of Horrors? Yeah. Come on. You know, I... Gosh, I saw that in the theater on opening night, and the whole crowd was going crazy. And I love that movie to this day. It's such a good We movie. have to talk about the original ending. Oh, my God, the original ending. Have you seen the original ending for Little Shop of Wars? It's no, so dark. I haven't. <gasps> oh really? God, yeah. Audrey 2 takes over. 
And the studio was like, that's too dark. We can't have that. <laughs> I love that. I love it when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Frank Oz uh, featuring Trip and Ross, they have their own cool little podcast called A Trip Through Comedy. And they're sort of going through the late 90s era of comedies um, because I guess one of the hosts just was like, I don't like comedies. And now he's trying to just find comedies that he likes, and it's working out really well. It's a fun show, and they're great guys, and I can't wait to talk with them about Frank Oz. And I'm so glad that Chloe came on. Thank you for coming on this show, Chloe. This was so cool. I loved this. I this hope was so. so fun. That means you're going to come back next year. I would love to. Want to do Mike Flanagan? <laughs> I mean... No, we can choose something else. I would have to watch House of Usher. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to watch. I mean, we cover, we mostly cover movies. Yeah. We don't have to cover miniseries. You don't have to feel obligated to watch everything he's done. I might, though. I know. I it's tempting. I do love Ouija, too. Shout yeah, out to Ouija, too. I do, I do. I do. I think I like all of his movies, to be honest. Yeah. So, no, I'm, I'm not saying it's an obligation or that you have to put it in stone. But because you might come up with something, you know, more interesting. Not that Mike Flanagan wouldn't be interesting, but... If you wanted to choose somebody from the past, maybe like Ooh. like a Frank Henlotter or Stuart Gordon. Well, I think I did Stuart Gordon. Damn it. <laughs> anyway, that's okay. Yes, thank you so much, Chloe, for being on the Directors Club, and thank you everybody for listening. Please visit directorsclubpodcast.com. Send me an email to at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. and uh, yeah, you know all the socials and stuff that's linked in the show notes, and follow Chloe because she's great. Yay! Thank Thanks, you so everybody. Much. Bye. If you tell your friends about Director's Club, I will let you live. Also visit 5years.substack.com for Jim's writing on music and film. And follow Chloe on Instagram or there will be dire consequences. Oh.